I feel like Rox does these announcements much better of the places where all oh, you can no, find us. Oh no, I do so well. You uh, do it well. <laughs> uh, don't patronize me. Welcome back to Merlisten, guys, a monthly podcast about BBC's Merlin, where we talk about the show, the ships, the fandom, and the characters. My name is Incredible. And I'm Miss Snowfox. And today we are back with another episode review. We are on episode 10 of season 2. Can you believe it? Because I, I can't. I, I actually can't believe it. No. It's, it's time is flying, especially in these corona-ridden times. Exactly. And for this, we have a brand new guest for the very first time on the listen. It is our dear new listener, Anne. Hi. <laughs> we are really happy to have Anne. Uh, she's been listening to the podcast for a little while now, has been leaving a lot of comments and has asked us if she could come on for some of these episode reviews. And of course, we said yes, because... <laughs> We are always happy to have new people on this podcast. We will hear more about Anne in a little bit, but first, of course, we're going to hear some news. After Kamlan Big Bang has opened summary claiming, there are, as of June the 6th, still a lot of summaries unclaimed. Camelot Bingo is a month-long writing challenge hosted by Camelot Drabble. Check it out in LifeJournal for more information. It will be hosted in July. The Merlin Cannon Fest episode claiming is open since yesterday. You can claim an episode on their LifeJournal to create a fanwork for. The Scruffy Pendragon Fest is free for all now. If you missed the deadline, you can still submit your work to their Tumblr and the AO3 subcollection. And finally, and most importantly, there is a Merlin Fans for Black Lives Matter master post with information which Merlin fan creators have pledged to donate all commission proceeds to charities and organizations that benefit the Black Lives Matter movement. Please consider commissioning one of these creators or tip us from Merlisten through Kofi. Any tips we receive from making this podcast will be donated to organizations and projects that benefit black people in the UK. You can also outright donate to the Black Lives Matter movement. You can find more information and a list of places that accept and need donations on blacklivesmatter.card.com. That's card with two R's. Especially if you are white, like the hosts of this podcast, sign petitions, listen to black people and people of color, educate yourself about systemic racism, and amplify the voices of black people. If you attend protests, don't speak over black people, but act as a shield for them instead. And that has been it for news. So now we get to talk about a talkback. And today's comment comes from Diane, archaeologist D, who commented on our epic genre episode where we talk about talked about epic fix with Ruth and Michelle from the Destiny and Chicken podcast, which is very apt that I mentioned this because Destiny and Chicken is going to be the theme for today's episode. That is true, yeah. Right? And speaking of Diane, I just wanted to give a quick shout out because there is going to be a lot of timey-wimey stuff happening, of course, but in the real time of 
when we are recording this episode. Um, I'm sure there are going to be many people in a very Merlin mood this morning because of the stream that Bradley did last night for the uh, Merlin quiz where all the knights showed up. And uh, our dear friend and borderline co-host Diane uh, actually won third place out of like 900 people, which is incredible. So amazing. Like when we saw her name, because like her name popped up on the on the rankings and I was watching the stream, not like the quiz rankings bit. And like in the coin a lot chat, everyone was like, OMG, Diane. And I was like, is she okay? <laughs> like, no, look at Roxanne, look at the rankings. And I was like, it's RGD. <laughs> yeah. It's so great. But like um, then some random person from Holland won the first place. I was like, damn you, Holland. <laughs> okay, so coming back to Diane's actual comment that she left on our episode about uh, Epic Fix. I always think of Epic as grand or well beyond the ordinary, so for me, Epic doesn't have anything to do with historical. It could be set in any time, past, present or future, and if the struggles are hard and the stakes high and there is sacrifice and love, to me, that's Epic. When I'm done, I should feel as if I'd been with them on whatever journey they'd taken, be it physical or psychological. My heart should race and the storyline and the characters and all that they had to go through should haunt me. It's not length so much as whether the storyline pulls me in, tears me apart, and puts me back together in the end. Yeah, I would agree with that for like Fick. I like I'm 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 unsure if she's dis like because we had a section where we talk about epic the genre in like movies and cinema, and then we had a bit where we talk about epic and Fick. I would probably agree with that, even though I think like I I think my if I remember my take on it was that even though I agree that modern stories or anything like that can absolutely destroy you i mean anyone that follows me on twitter knows how i feel about aristotle and dante discover the secrets of the universe so like that's absolutely true that a modern story can completely destroy you but i think in fic i said that i was more pulled in to epic by the historical but i can see where she's coming from that yeah that is also true like it like it should give you it should give you that feeling of like emptiness and hollowness inside where like nothing in life will ever fill that void you know it's just kind of yeah and i and i would agree with that modern is difficult to get that right though i think in my opinion but i think that just goes to show that with all of these genre not just in fan fiction but in general it's it's just getting more and more I don't know if diluted is the right word, but I feel like that's that, that's a word that came to mind. It's just like um, the more there is of a genre, the broader the genre becomes. The thing about genre is I like I'm pretty sure this is like a whole subsection of like storytelling and literature and films that people have written PhDs over. So we're not going to get to the bottom of it on Merlison for <laughs> sure. But genre is like, yeah, absolutely do merge. And I mean, fandom loves to merge things. I mean, we only have to look at AUs and fusions and crossovers to see that. Oh, yeah. So yeah, it's absolutely true that that is what we like to do. And I think fandom genres are so unique because we do have influences from actual genre that we see in media but they're really their own thing aren't they because hurt comfort is not a thing in film like like, yeah like it it is but it's not a genre in the way that we tag like a fic with hurt comfort angst 
is not a genre. It would be like melodrama, maybe. Like, but, but again, that's not really a genre that we see much in film anymore. Like, there are so many tags, like even on AO3 and types of fic that you could describe something as being genre, genre in that particular yeah. tag that just don't exist, like in books or in film. And I think that's really the more interesting conversation as to like, why have we kind of created our own genre and even within fandom like we said in merlin like you know modern au is its own genre whereas in something like uh glee modern au is not a thing because it's set in the modern day so it's really yeah it's a it's a fascinating conversation but yeah so that's kind of uh my thought on that but i but i agree with Diane that especially with something like epic that to be honest means something very different in the film universe and the book universe than it does in the fanfic universe I think that her like what she brought to the definition is completely valid like in terms of what we would consider an epic fic um even though I can't think of one that I've read that's modern AU that gave me those kinds of feelings in the merlin fandom like i like i feel like how do you um, feel about i mean like the cycle of the year we begin again yeah i was about to say that but it's but um, yeah but i think because it is a continuation of merlin the series right i think it's tinged with that right it's not its own uh thing even the student mm, the student prince act no that that did give me a lot of feel she yeah she mentions it which was i was trying to do a segue did you see that (laughs) i know right like for once i actually did a proper one and got called out (laughs) but speaking of the student prince do you want to finish the comment off alex yeah sure because diane goes on to say Fandom loves The Student Prince, but I thought it was overly full of extraneous stuff that didn't add to the plot except toward the end. I thought it could have been pared down considerably. I think everyone should read it at least once, though. Yeah, uh, I. it's weird because I've read this comment about The Student Prince a lot. Like, people... Um, I don't remember where, but I feel like I have seen fans saying, oh yeah, this would probably make a really good novel, but only once it went through a copy editor and stripped out all the unnecessary shit. And I, and it's weird because I've listened to it a couple of times, granted not in the last like year or so. Uh, so maybe I do need to re-listen to it, but um, I, th- I don't know. I always thought the pacing was really good. I never felt as though I was waiting for something to like, I never felt like I was waiting for stuff to end. I was always enjoying what was going on, but perhaps because it is a fan fiction and because I know the characters, I felt comfortable with the slower pacing maybe, but I I I would have to uh return to it. I would now really like to ask Diane what she thought could be cut because clearly my memory's not good enough to I'm, to supply it. Diane will listen to this episode eventually, yes. so thank you Diane. <laughs> but yeah um so i think yeah that's uh that's all our thoughts on on diane's comment thank you so much diane for always supporting and commenting on the podcast yes absolutely and if any other of our listeners want to leave us comments you can do so at the following places we have our website melissa.paracoproductions.com where you can leave a comment and if you leave your comment there there is a good chance that we will read it out on this podcast and then discuss it you can also find us on Tumblr and Twitter at Merlisten. And as Rox keeps saying, you know how to contact us there. So just do it. We have an email, which is melissen.podcast at gmail.com, which is how we got in touch with Anne. So, hey, <laughs> miraculous things can happen if you email us. 
We are on iTunes as Melissa, where you can rate us and leave us comments. We are on Discord, and you can get the invite link on our Tumblr or on, on our website. And then you can come talk to Rox and me and other people who have guested on the podcast before, and also people who just listen to the podcast all the time and have many thoughts on it. We have a Melissa bingo, which you can play along. You can just shoot me a message, and I will send you a bingo card, and then you can like tick off every time. We are incredibly predictable and repeat ourselves. And finally, we have a Kofi where you can leave us a tip and then we'll give, we'll give you a shout out and many thanks for buying us a coffee with money. And that would be very lovely of you. But it's not a monthly thing. So you can just, it's a one-time donation that you can make. You don't have to worry about like uh, subscribing to us and, and losing money every month. It would be just a one-time thing. All right. Now we have a new guest, so you all know what that means. Fandom history time! Okay, Anne, tell us a little bit, how did you find Merlin? When did you find Merlin? And are you active in the fandom at all? And if yes, in what way? Okay, here I have to calm down because I'm smiling too much. <laughs> Oh, um, no, that's oh, great. Hey, my heart. I can't take this. <laughs> okay. So, um, last fall, uh, I was in a school play called um, A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. And I had the role of Morgan Le Fay. So, I thought that I should do some research. <laughs> well, um, research in quotes. Because uh, all I did was, like, watch some YouTube videos for inspiration and some film adaptations, and um, I came across this um, channel called Dragon Lord, but um, instead of an O in Lord, it's a C um, on YouTube, and uh, they just make the uh, funniest compilations of like the funny scenes of Merlin with like the funniest captions, um, and I have to wreck it. It's just so funny. Anyways, um, at first. I was so confused about like what is this Merlin? <laughs> like it seems like it's a show set in medieval times, but it not, seems not So um I don't know, I normally don't easily fall into like sh shows or fandoms, but I just kept going back to these videos and I, I became obsessed with it. Um Merlin, I kept watching um like three to four episodes per day, even on the weekdays. Um, although my parents shouldn't hear that part, but um, so <laughs> I finished the whole show in less than a month. And um, I also watched um, Stars Camelot for um, the mm -hmm. my role and whatever preparing and stuff. And I I liked Ava Green's charisma, but other than that, uh, so yeah. And I recently got back into Merlin. I think mostly because I've been staying home so much because of Corona. <laughs> and I was like, oh, let me rewatch the show. And it was just as good as I remembered it. So, yeah. As for fandom, I'm not, like, active uh, much in it. As Rock says, I'm more of, like, a lurker. <laughs> so, but I guess, I don't know. Does doing this podcast count? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. This is this is definitely a fandom endeavor for sure. Yeah. It's what it's 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 what you know 
it's what Box has been telling herself for years, where she's like, I contribute to the fandom, I do the podcast. So oh, come it definitely... on, this is so much work. This is so much work. It is. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. It is obviously a contribution to the fandom. I'm, I'm yeah. just... Yeah. I know, you're kidding. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your, your story, Anne. Mm-hmm. It's always nice to get a feeling for what, for what kind of, sort of people we have in this fandom and where everyone comes from so it's that's why we do this because it's fun to hear about everyone's experience yeah okay right we can now start talking about sweet dreams which i wish we didn't have to do but i guess we i guess there is no way around it i shall read the episode summary from the morning vicky now Dignitaries from, quote-unquote, the Five Kingdoms, descend on Camelot for peace talks. But what King Adonet really wants is war, and he'll do everything in his power to stir up hostilities, even if it means using magic. Adonet's jester Trickler puts a spell on Arthur to make him fall madly in love with rival King Olaf's daughter Vivian. Chaos reigns in the palace, and Camelot is once more poised on the brink of war. Can Merlin free Arthur's heart before the prince loses his head in battle? Okay, first of all, this summary makes it sound like Merlin is the one who has to kiss Arthur, which I'm sure all the Merthyr fans love. <laughs> oh my god, it is it is a mildly accurate summary. That's it's for mild, sure. It's mildly accurate, yeah. Yeah, I have actually a very, very interesting relationship with this episode because it was sweet dreams, would you believe it, that actually got me into writing. Wow. Yeah, the first the first Merlin fic I ever wrote was based on this premise. And this was before I'd read The Student Prince, by the way. I, like, I don't even know if The Student Prince was published at this point. I had no idea. I was just kind of mildly in the fandom, but was really like intrigued by this concept of there was a plotline I wanted and it wasn't there. And there wasn't a fic of it, so I was like, "Well, I guess I'll do it." So I wrote. So I wrote a fic about what? What if the kiss didn't work? What if the kiss didn't work? And it was Merlin that had to do it, and it ended up being like a thirty k thing that grew and grew, and then had a sequel of a hundred and thirty k that's still unfinished. And it was the whole thing. So that was yes. Yeah, so that was because of Sweet Dreams. So Sweet Dreams is very, very um, important in, uh, in my fandom history, at least. So yeah, that's yeah. it's kind of weird that yeah that it's. Uh, that uh, that's how it went down but i mean it's a yeah. very fanficable episode from the point of view of that's, what if that is very true very so true. some quick stats for this episode it was first aired on the 28th of november in 2009 there are three female characters with lines gwen and morgana although morgana she says like what two sentences but four at least lines. she talks i counted four lines <laughs> I mean, that's four more lines than she had in the previous episode, in which she didn't even appear, so. (laughs) And, of course, supporting cast Vivian also is there and has lines and is a woman. And then we have seven male characters with lines. There are, as usual, Arthur Merlin, Gaius, and Uther. And then there are Olaf, Alinad, and Trickler. I find it interesting that, like, it says five kingdoms are coming to visit. Or, like, there are five kingdoms uh, in these peace talks, but we only ever hear three different kings. 
Like there, where are the other? Well, two? that's because the other two are too expensive. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. So the dragon appears in this episode. It's been a while since we've seen him too. I feel like. Yeah, since Beauty and the Beast two, I think. Yeah, and then yeah, we have. Um, I mean, the the enemy of the week are Elinard and Trickler, and no one dies. Not a <laughs> single person dies in the making of this episode. Uh, I mean, maybe they died in the making of this episode, <laughs> but it didn't. No one died on screen in the plot. So, oh wow, Merlin is not as, like the show Merlin this week, not as murderous as we're used to. Maybe in Soul Dies. Oh, God. <laughs> so, sh- <laughs> um, shall we have some overall thoughts then of the yes. episode? You're going to really be surprised by what I'm about to say. Okay. Really surprised. Okay. But- <laughs> I really, really love this episode. <laughs> I really, really love it. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> and it's actually, um, uh, it probably could rival or outdo Beauty and the Beast part two for me in terms of comedy. I cannot believe that Merlin the show wrote something this funny. Like genuinely, I like, I can't believe it. I can't believe that they wrote dialogue that felt this witty that they wrote an episode with the pacing so fantastic that there isn't a single wasted scene. Like every scene is important in trying mm. to push the plot mm. forward. Mm. That Do you think? I, I mean, are, well, like, I mean, you can tell me when we get to it. You, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, there are so many times when one of the characters just repeats information that we already have. Okay, well, the Merlin and Gaia scenes have to be in there because Richard needs his paycheck. But, like, I do also feel... <laughs> I do also feel as though, like, you know, they're probably more important because Merlin needs, like, an outlet to express his frustration and trying to, like, process through his ideas and we can't have in a monologue because that would be dumb. But, yeah, okay, like, I'll like I'll give you that. But, um, yeah, I just, I don't know what it is about this episode. I just, it's so delightful for me to watch. I actually just genuinely enjoy having it on and listening to all these interactions. And like I said, I think like I'm going to pick apart specific scenes when we get to them, but I think some of the writing, like compared to the last episode, when I really Mm. complained about the script, the script minus a couple of scenes, which I will discuss when we get there, but the script is so like genuine, like the dialogue. And I don't Mm. know, like some of this must've been improv, like, especially with the maybe more seasoned actor, um, actors like uh, Georgia and whoever plays, uh, uh, Trickler, I sorry, I didn't look it up beforehand, but just like those guys, like and obviously Colin and Bradley's comedic timing, like it's such a funny episode. But that being will, said, yeah, go I ahead, will, please. I will, I will agree that it's funny. I will agree that the dialogue, especially any interaction between, like once author is enchanted, is like comedy gold in in that regard. It just it gets overshadowed for me by all the plot holes. And all the um, all the issues that I will mention when once we mm-hmm. get to them, like I I can enjoy the banter. I laughed quite a bit while watching this episode, but it's like I was also paying attention to the characters and how how they react to some of the things that author, especially author, does. And I'm just like I can't believe any of like I just none of these characters behave believably exactly. in my opinion yes like especially when yeah after, they are very yeah yeah after yeah. like um olaf like throws his glove down and like uh, yeah anyways 
it's so, so it's so fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> it really, I mean, but but not but not in a good way. <laughs> oh, I love it though. I can't help it. Like, I love it. I just okay. But the thing is, is I'm sure that a lot of them are listeners and the people watching the episode already know either from behind the scenes or even if you have ever you know um, been in an English literature class, you know that this episode is obviously heavily influenced by a Midsummer Night's Dream. And so going into watching it with those kind of eyes um, and even seeing the kind of plotline they're doing with the Puck character in Trickler and the kind of outrageous nature of the kind of magic that they're using and everything about it felt like it felt genuine to the Merlin universe because of the comedy and because of the interactions. But there was something like you said, like kind of kind of otherworldly about it where like okay but what if everyone in the Merlin universe was just nicer and it's just kind of like <laughs> it's so like wholesome in its own weird way and Uther being wholesome and just everything being so ridiculous and so Shakespearean that's the thing like I love how I Shakespearean have, it is I have an I have a note on that how Arthur talks once he's yes, I, have once he's I have like I mean he's not he's not rhyming but he's definitely it it almost sounds like it could come from a Shakespeare yes. play. How he talks, especially You're so about right. Vivian, how he talks, how he talks about Vivian. It it sounds like it could have come from Shakespeare. Like he's trying to be a uh, like a Shakespeare actor at the very least, trying to enact a Shakespeare play. Yes. It definitely sounds like that. I think it's so fantastic. Yeah, I, I think Vivian talks a little like that too after she's enchanted. Yeah. 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 And there's a rhythm to the dialogue as well yeah. that feels very much like that kind of poetic, like iambic yeah. pentameter bullshit, you know, where it's just kind of like, you know, da, 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 Arthur, father, Arthur, father. Like it's very, yeah. like very but, rhythmic and it's very, I mean, I don't know if it was very practiced or if it's just kind of like, especially with the scenes with Melanie and Arthur, but it's, it's very, it's very, it feels very genuine to me. And like I said, the comedy feels like it's just very genuine, fits all of the actors so beautifully. But mm-hmm. I mean, for me, you know, what, obviously what lets this episode down, let's just call a duck a duck, is that it makes absolutely no sense. Because Gwen does not, has not shown any Thank feelings you. towards Thank Arthur. You. Oh my gosh, that's so far. Really so far. The last time Gwen has had, and I mentioned this in my Lancelot and Gwen and Arthur and Gwen episode, but now we get to discuss it. Because Gwen in the last time that she had a romantic storyline was ready to run away with Lancelot and have beautiful babies. And I feel as though if we had had at least something in the episodes leading up to this, or in even in this episode that mentioned Santiago's name, I would have been fine with it. And the way that I think I mentioned it in the Arthur and Gwen episode where this episode could have worked for me, is strip back all of the bullshit dialogue about Gwen having quote-unquote hope because she's not been pining after Arthur. She's not been pining after Arthur and switch the spell around. It's that simple. It's not the the spell will be broken by the one that Arthur truly loves. It's the spell will be broken by the one who truly loves Arthur because we already know that Arthur loves Gwen. He's said as much several times like not the actual word love but you know what is the point of all of this when we've already had his confession in Lancelot and Guinevere and look at the end of the episode can either of you tell me how their relationship has progressed from the beginning to the end 
It ha- it hasn't. It's, it hasn't. It it's pointless. Sta- it goes back to status quo. It's pointless. There's nothing that actually changes. The only thing that would have made it make sense is, like I said, if Gwen had been reluctant, like, and she is, she does show reluctance, but it's more because she doesn't believe she can get it rather than because she doesn't actually know if she feels the same way. Where she's essentially pining and crushing but is too scared to do anything about it. Where what it should have happened and her and her character motivation should have been, I th- I still think I'm in love with this other guy and I'm scared that maybe I'm getting over him and maybe I've got feelings for this other guy, but I'm not ready to admit it. And then the kiss, and like the audience doesn't know. Like, I mean, obviously they know because it's Guinevere, but like the audience doesn't know is she into him like the last time we saw her she definitely wasn't and then the kiss proves because the kiss can only be working if it's from true love then the kiss proves that she is his true love and like that would have actually then dealt with the Lancelot issue and then we could have moved on I mean I would have never moved on because I boycotted happiness from the moment that Lancelot and Guinevere finished (laughs) but like it would have made sense in this context the show and just do they do they have to pay Santiago when they use Lancelot's name? Is that is that what's happening here? Because if that would have made sense as to why he's not mentioned in this episode. And in this essay, I will. <laughs> oh my god! And take over for a second. Yeah. I have some notes um, on what Roth said um, a couple of paragraphs ago. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I love she's you already. dragging you she fits right in she's dragging you. you I love you already <laughs> please let me adopt you <laughs> so um yeah I I definitely think um that the episode was really like t- um not just in story wise but like the tone is very Shakespearean and like you know the Midsummer Night's Dream um the way it's written it's the tone is very dreamy. It's like they're in a dream. And I think that's the same way for this episode. It's very flighty, chaotic, like fantastical. And strange, like in what reality would Uther let Arthur fight to his death over a girl? Yeah, I have that note. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it, it's such like a play and a, or a farce or something. It's like so different from last episode. And, you know, I do appreciate continuity, but... I actually kind of like these breaks in between um, the episodes where, like, you can kind of, like, lighten up. Like, you can, I feel like it lets you attach to the characters more because you feel like you're in it with them. Like, in this journey where there's, like, ups and downs. And it's not, like, just drama, 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 drama all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I would have liked? And I will admit, I never thought about this episode as being basically the Midsummer Night's Dream of Merlin. Uh. <laughs> um, this I this had never occurred to me, but then... I think um, I know what you're about to say, but go for it. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> what I would have loved for this episode, leave it as it is, the entire thing, but then the very last scene... It's Merlin waking up from a night. From a dream. I thought you were gonna say it was gonna be an AU episode. I knew it. See, we've got the same wavelength, Alex. I knew it. That would have been like it would have explained everything about this episode. (laughs) It would have explained every single thing if at the very end or no, even better, even better. It's not Merlin who wakes up. It's Uther. No, it's Uther who wakes up from a nightmare. No, but then Uther would know about Merlin's magic. No, 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 he wouldn't. He would just like be, 
Oh, and, and to top it all off, to make it worse, Arthur's closest ally and manservant has magic. Ah. <laughs> that, that's, oh that's because otherwise Morgana would have known that Merlin has magic and she doesn't know. So yeah, like, if, if Uther dreams this and it's like the entire dream is just such a farce of what his life is like, he's like, peace with the other kingdom. <laughs> as if. <laughs> you know? you know I think after marrying what? someone, he, <laughs> I don't approve of as if his master <laughs> having magic never. It's being in it, never. Your characters here all act like such teenagers. Like Arthur, Vivian, Merlin, and even Gwen, like they all act like they regressed in maturity. Like yeah. they're hopeless and confused and desperate like the whole time. And it would be so funny if it was like Uther imagining all of this. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think because what's interesting- they are all children. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I think what's interesting though about like I because even when I watched it because obviously I watched this season as it was airing um or at least from uh, from like this point on so I actually saw this on TV and even when I was watching it um it never felt out of place for me funnily enough even with the characterizations and I think the reason for that is because we've had a lot of comic relief in this season obviously with a huge two-parter which was basically all comic relief so I feel as though maybe it I was as a viewer already primed for the fact that oh we're gonna get these little breaks and obviously in season three we have episodes like Goblin's Gold so Merlin has in season two started doing this we didn't have comic relief episodes in season one this is something that I pointed out a while back and I never noticed it for for all these years but the comic relief breaks only started in season two so I think maybe I was like oh okay this is another one of those episodes and it just didn't bother me maybe i don't know like it was i mean obviously the arwen bothered me because i wasn't into it but like the actual (laughs) like you know like um these things about like sweet dreams um being completely out of character without any explanation only bother you when you actually start to think about it like when you just when you just watch the episode you know if you if you just uh, binge the entire show or even rewatch the entire thing you don't think about that because all you think of, like, all, you just watch it for the fun and you don't, yeah. you're not like us who try to analyze every single moment of it and try to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're literally just watching it for the heck of it, then it probably doesn't bother you. Yeah. Well, right? it clearly didn't bother me at the time, but yeah. I, but, but, but I think with Melissa in general, what we found is that a lot of stuff doesn't bother us until we actually look at it closer and even re-watching it this morning I did have the same like the Uther thing never crossed my mind at the time because I just love Uther and I loved him in this episode and then I was like oh um I remember the last time someone challenged Arthur to a duel to the death and it didn't end like this <laughs> so, yeah and that's when you start to go hang on a second but yeah I, it's I guess it's just I I don't know why I'm so happy to let this episode of all episodes slide. I think it is just because I think it's so well written, just the just the script and it's so <clears throat> weirdly, yeah, like I said, well paced and the rhythm is so think, perfect that I'm like, yeah, you know what, yeah. whatever. I think if I keep headcanoning it as um, yeah. Uther's worst nightmare, yeah. basically, <laughs> you can deal um, with it. I, I can it. deal with it because that because that makes the ending bearable as well. Because the ending is the the other sticking point I have with this episode is um, that at the end 
Arthur's spell is broken, but Vivian's isn't, and no one except for Arthur and Merlin and Gwen and Gaius even know that Vivian is enchanted. Yeah. So there is no chance of her ever breaking this spell because she is forever doomed to be in love with Arthur. Unless yeah. there is like a failsafe where this where this potion or this love spell wears off at some point, but we don't have like we don't know that. Like we must assume that this love potion will keep on uh, working forever indefinitely, and so Vivian can never fall in love with anyone else. Which then um, would have been even better if they had done what you suggested, Rox. It's not about who Arthur or Vivian truly loves; it's about who truly loves them. Yeah. Because yeah. there's still a chance that someone would fall in love with Vivian and free her from this spell. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, I just I just think that would have been for me, it would have been the better way of doing it. Um, And the only way that this way works, where it's who Arthur truly loves is. And of course, this would never happen. But only does it work if you do the bait and switch, which is, oh, shit, Gwen isn't his real love. And like all this time you think she is, but then it's not. And that's the only way that this works, because we already know Arthur loves Gwen. So there is no mystery or excitement from the audience because it's like, well, we know what's going to happen once they kiss. But like then if the kiss doesn't work, it's like, oh, Arthur doesn't love Gwen, I suppose. Then, and then that, and and that's the only way that it makes it exciting with with like this way. It, it's just I don't know why they did it this way. I really don't. We already know this information. I, this is not brand new information. I just thought of something. It's just maybe um, when Kilgara says uh, the person who no wait the person who Arthur truly loves, he's um, assuming that whoever's going to kiss Arthur loves him enough to kiss him. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I would like to think that you know he implies that the spell goes both ways. But yeah. to be honest with you, it you know it really doesn't need to go both ways. I mean, he does say the person Arthur truly loves, and it makes sense in a way because it's Arthur's heart that's enchanted. Mm-hmm. So it's Arthur's heart that needs to have another true love to break the spell. So I don't think that, and. It could just be the weird word choice that they use. Maybe the writers were implying that the love needs to go both ways. But I, you know, like this is the script they gave us. And so this is what we work with. And I call bullshit. Mm. (laughs) And I just say, no, that is absolutely like stupid. But, um, you know, never mind. Um, Do we have any other like overall analytic thoughts? One last point for me. Yes. um, So... Uh, the reason I really like this episode too, but the reason why when I was thinking about it recently, um, it felt a little off is because it, it comes right after Lady in the Lake, and Lady in the Lake yeah. doesn't end happily at all. And, no, uh, if, if yeah, if it's not like Uther's dream, like Alex says, it just seems a little you know abrupt. But yeah, you know, I think. One thing I do like about these like comedy episodes that um they at least try to have some purpose to it and if you think really deeply into it and I think the mm. of- but really deeply yeah. <laughs> the purpose of this episode is um to emphasize <laughs> in this one episode that uh there's a quote from Midsummer Night's Dream I found the course of true love never did run smooth for Arthur and Guinevere and you know, they can't, you know, extend the story arc for 
several episodes because they have other things to talk about. So I think they picked this one episode to really emphasize that, you know, they have a relationship and they have a story too. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. That's and really grasping at straws though. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's also really bizarre because if you lifted this episode from the season, Arthur and Gwen's trajectory could probably remain the same. Yeah. <laughs> like if it went from episode nine to episode eleven to episode twelve to episode thirteen, what would be different? Like like episode thirteen ends with Gwen hugging Arthur like as he's coming back, and also Gaius approaching her on the um on the battlement saying, You care for him, don't you? Which literally those three words can replace all of Sweet Dreams. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need Sweet Dreams. So you can literally just like use Gaius like Mr. Exposition to tell us that Gwen <laughs> feels something for Arthur. And then season three does a reset for their relationship anyway so who cares i mean i care because i you know we have two of my favorite merlin characters of all time in this episode so i do care but it's just yeah it's a very bizarre placement for the episode for sure it's a very bizarre way to try to further the arwen relationship when it does the complete opposite and like you said, Anne, it comes right after Lady of the Lake. And even watching Lady of the Lake on TV and then the promo coming on for this, it's very jarring when yeah. you've just watched what you've watched. Yeah. Because because I have a promo, obviously, like those that watched it, like like at the end of each one, they show you what's like on next week. Mm-hmm. And then you have all these funny situations happening. And you're like, oh, oh, okay, I guess. All right. Yeah. It's, While you're but like if Lady of the <laughs> Yeah, but if Lady of the Lake had gone straight into the Witch's Quickening, even though it's not like continuity, but at least it's tonal continuity, yeah. <laughs> so that's something, I guess. Do you yeah, expect any sort of continuity from Merlin? That's her first mistake. <laughs> I know. It's yeah. I mean, damn. And also, damn. I know that this episode is compared a lot to Midsummer Night's Dream, but I think you can see some parallels um, with Romeo and Juliet, and like Shakespeare's, you know, dramatic irony, like. They're like almost together, but not really. In it. But well, it's yeah, happy ending for this episode. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's yeah, and scene. yeah, it isn't a happy ending. Yeah, there's one scene that's very um, Romeo and Juliet esque. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> They're definitely drawing on as many Shakespearean parallels as they can yeah. for sure. And I and and I mean I'm all here for it because I mean if you ask me, Merlin should only be in this tone. Like the entire show should have been written exactly like this. <laughs> but hey, what do I know? I only run a fandom podcast, so um, you also study film, so that is you true. Have, you have some which, authority, which is, which is definitely more than what the creators of Merlin did. That's for sure. <laughs> Oh, wow. Oh, I know. Burn. Burn. Get that flamethrower out. Um, Right. So, shall we go into a scene by scene? Yes, please. The one where Uther gets emotional. See, I call it it the one with the exposition. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No. The one with the exposition and royal trumpet. Yeah. I love the fact, though, that Uther... You know, like this is kind of leading on from what we saw in like the Poison Chalice. Like he, it well, a it adds like the tiniest bit of like world extension to <laughs> to the Merlin universe where there are other kingdoms, and you know we have a lot of new extras in, in this episode. Even though only like not all of them have lines, but you know last time we had one king, we've heard of Senred. He won't show up until season three, but like we have all these other kings, and it's nice for me anyway as someone that has always complained that 
where are all the other people in the world that they've come to visit? And the Uther actually does want peace. And, you know, listen, I stand Uther hard. And I'm telling you, he wants what's best for the kingdom. <laughs> he really does. I like it. I don't know. He's a little bit dramatic, though. If they fail, we will most certainly be in war. He's a pen dragon. How else is he going <laughs> to be? Yeah, I was about to say, that's just, that's just who he is as a person. <laughs> Sorcery. Okay. <laughs> So, so my my notes for this see, uh, scene are, um, yeah, Uther tells us what's happening and what's at stake, and we get the first glimpse of our villain of the episode, and we learn that Alanad is an unkind master as he kicks his manservant, who was also made to ride on a donkey. I put horse in my oh in my, my notes, but it was a donkey. He rode on a donkey, um, and like so. <sighs> This struck me a little bit because the show is trying to tell me that Elinard is a bad, bad man because he mistreats his manservant. But Arthur regularly mistreats Merlin. <laughs> like, okay, he does not kick him or make him ride on a donkey With when they are in public. In, in, in public. <laughs> but he's only one or two steps above Elinard sometimes in how he treats Merlin. And yet we're supposed to believe that Arthur is a good guy. And because Elinard if it happens behind closed doors, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, that's the only difference. Arthur does it. Arthur does it in his chambers, and Eleanor does it in the courtyard. So. But also, like you know, I would personally argue that their relationship, like, yeah, he mistreats him. But Trickler, you know, doesn't seem like he's that phased with his life. He like he's pretty happy where he is. So it's probably like a similar situation. But I actually because um there was a you've got the shot of the kings riding in and then like the one where they're actually in the courtyard I actually called the one where the best Merlin villain is introduced no questions asked <laughs> because can I just please point out that King Allenhead is kind of everything to me in every possible way as is Trickler because I have I just love them as villains so fucking much their dynamic and their over the topness and Alanid being such an extra person and Trickler being completely ridiculous in every way, shape or form. And like the homoerotic subtext and everything about this, like it's just the best thing that Merlin has ever given us ever. I love it. I absolutely adore it. He's always been my favorite villain. Like, when we come to talk about season two villains, oh, you know that he'll be in there a lot. But yeah, I just think they're hysterical. And um, Alan, when Uther comes, or Arthur or someone, he's scowling at Trickler and then he looks up and he smiles like, hmm? oh, <laughs> it's so there's, brilliant. There's like a similar scene in the very last scene too. <laughs> there is. Yeah, we're peace. Oh, love peace. Love it. <laughs> I don't understand how any of them buy this. Like they, like they kind of don't because Arthur's like, like at the end, he's like, "Oh, anyone would think you didn't want peace." Why, of course I do. <laughs> it's like you know, none of them buy it, but it's just so brilliant. And yeah, um, Trickler's introduction is fantastic. Needless to say, I did note down the line where he says, um, "Is it too much to ask for you to be attentive to my needs?" Because ayo, um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's going to be a lot more aos where this couple have come from. Because oh dear God, I don't understand how this aired. No, I really don't understand how this aired. They are fantastic, um, but I I think the next scene is with them no, no, in no, the I chambers, have, isn't it? I have I have. I have one more thing to say about the scene. Oh, yes, 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 yes. 
It, it's not not anything that exciting. I don't know why you're getting so riled up about because it. Because I love these two and I get riled up. Oh, that, sorry, go ahead. It's, it's not about these two. It's about Arthur because I have a costume note. I think this episode is the last time he's wearing his boring circlet. Boring? And he's also wearing a bored expression on his face for ah. like a while. So, <laughs> but it's just like, it's the, it's the boring circlet, which then in season three gets exchanged for a more exciting circlet. But this is the circlet that he wore in season one when he was crowned prince of Camelot in um, Excalibur. And it's, I think he only wears it the two times. Nice. Okay, yes, now they are in in the chambers, and I call it the one where Alanid reveals his sinister intentions. I put the one where Alanid continues to be the best villain, because, because he is, in every sense of the word, and Trickler is the best sidekick villain. I mean, Alanid just outright standing by his window, proclaiming to Trickler, who already must know his intention, seeing as they live together. I don't really know why he's stating this right now, but it's obviously for the audience's benefit. Um, and he's uh, <laughs> like, um, he says that you know he's going to make Arthur fall in love with with Lady Vivian, or like I think, oh no, Trickler asks if Lady Vivian is part of his plans. She's very beautiful, and then Alan Ed, you know, don't let her, her father hear you say that because he'll have your head. And Trickler goes, oh, I should hope not. It is my prettiest feature. <laughs> I need to see, like, I need to find this actor and more stuff. Honestly, he steals Kevin something. Ah, he steals this episode for me. Steals it, like, without his performance, this episode would not work, like, in any way, shape, or form. He is incredible in this role as just like the ridiculous jester who doesn't take anything seriously um but also i'm really surprised that olaf was okay with arthur helping vivian down from her horse yeah yeah i mean i suppose that out of all the people who were would have been allowed to do it it was either olaf himself uther or arthur and since Mm -hmm. olaf has a duty to like greet Uther and Uther has a duty to greet Olaf. It fell to Arthur to help Lady Vivian off her horse. That's true. And I mean, I suppose maybe at this time Olaf trusts Arthur very much because, funny enough, those, I mean, I won't like a jump ahead, but the scene where Uther and Olaf meet, I have called the one where we meet another one of Uther's exes because they absolutely <laughs> are. <laughs> You did, right? The one one where Uther welcomes another ex to Camelot is literally the same title. Except these guys were like, I think Olaf was his rebound after Iridian, and so that's why he's on such good terms with him still. Like, clearly there's (laughs) still a little bit, yeah, there's still a little bit of like, you know, oh, you know, honey. Um, And maybe Olaf kind of sees, you know, Arthur as like a second son because it could have been, you know, but (laughs) so he doesn't think that Arthur, which is why it hurts so much when Arthur betrays his trust. And all of a sudden this is becoming deep. (laughs) Yeah. Um, the oh. trickler, the actor's name is Kevin Elton. I just searched. Thank you very much. And, oh, he's, um, oh, one, he's one question I have is, I wonder where Vivian came from. Like, uh, there's no other lady. Let's know let's, talk, let's 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 do this talk, now. Let's do let's this now. Talk about Lady Vivian because she is the daughter of a king. Which means she is a princess. So why then is she not called Princess Vivian? I ask you. Like, it doesn't matter who her mother was. 
right? It's it's irrelevant who her mother was or is, whether she's alive or not, and and what standing she was, because clearly Olaf has accepted Vivian as his daughter, is taking her everywhere, is incredibly protective of her to the point of like being really almost oppressive. So, so clearly, here. you know, she has a high rank. She is of high ranking, uh, of high standing. Why is she Lady Vivian and not Princess Vivian? Why? I can only imagine that it was just like an oversight that they just never fixed. <laughs> like, you know, like maybe it was just one of those things where they forgot that she was meant to be a princess and then that was it or maybe it was one of those things where um because they had like lady sophia before and they maybe thought that people would get confused like that there's another princess but camelot is like a kingdom that has a prince and maybe they thought the audience was too dumb to understand that there were different monarchies and different (laughs) different parts like i don't know like i don't know it's just so stupid it is so stupid how princess alina and princess Mithian? Yeah, but that's later, isn't it? Like, that's in season three and four. So it's kind of, yeah, it's yeah, really. And, and by season three, everything has changed. Like, the writers decided a lot of things that they didn't know yet in season one and two. Yeah. Armor. Oh. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Sorry, that just kind of <laughs> slipped out. Um, but yeah, it's, it is ridiculous. But Olaf, I really, really like him. Yeah, <laughs> I know. me just, too. He's so ridiculous, but I love him. It also makes me wonder how old Vivian is supposed to be. Like, if it's just him continuing to see her as, like, a 12-year-old girl, or if it's if she actually is only supposed to be, I don't know, 16 or 17, and thus technically underage. I, I mean, mean she, would, she wouldn't have been in an actual medieval setting. Maybe she would have been like, underage at, like, 9. But by, like, 11 or 12, she was very much of as age. Soon, as soon as she had her first period, period yeah, yeah, her yeah, life was over, basically. Yeah, um, basically. But, like, I, I really don't understand... Um, I think like, she's just Arthur's age. Like I just assume she's Arthur's age, but that Olaf. Um, well, yeah. I my guess based off of most storylines where there's a single king father is that Olaf was deeply in love with his wife. Something terrible happened to his wife, and she died. He's never gotten over it, and he's scared that the only other you know girl in his life, you know, that he loves, that's the only living memory of um her mother and his wife, you know, that he doesn't want anything bad to happen to. Maybe his wife was attacked by yeah. some ruffian. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe like, trauma related to that. Yes. Um so the one where Gwen shows up no, is, have yeah. we have we finished with the one where Uther welcomes another ex to Camelot? I think they just say hello and that's it. I mean okay, how much okay. can we say? Okay, I, I I have I just want to say that Arthur keeps looking bored in the background. Like he's yeah. just so done. He just has no desire to be here at all. And it's just no. like my as we say in hockey, the way he looks is kept Head empty, no thoughts. <laughs> That's exactly what he looks like. Reminds me of that scene oh. in Poison Chalice. Like I remember you guys commenting that he's not quite the politician and more of the action guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that for sure. He definitely had to learn on the job later <laughs> on. Um, spoiler alert, guys, Arthur becomes king. My, my poor child. Yeah. Um, so okay. yeah, the, the one, one where, where Gwen shows up. <laughs> okay, I call it the one where Arthur plays concierge for some reason. Oh yeah. Oh god. 
So um, yeah, we learned that Vivian is a bit snobbish and rude. But like, just she just yeah, she's just a, a rich snob. It's that's that's what they like. That's what yeah, they like. The only thing that I will say is that I don't understand why they wrote the scene like this because they could have had a like a moment of Gwen doing something clumsy or something to show herself up because Vivian has just laid eyes on her. And Gwen's not even uttered a word, and she's like, "Well, then I fear for Camelot." Which just makes her like it doesn't make her seem realistically mean. It just makes it her may- seem like stupid. No, it makes her look racist. Is what it does. Yeah, but race doesn't exist in Camelot, does it? We already <laughs> know that. So no, but like, Gwen as, but as a modern audience, yeah, that's what it reads as to mm-hmm. us. It just okay. like even if it's not the intention, even if these characters are all colorblind in with regards to skin tone, um. It just for a modern audience, it just makes it looks ra- look racist, is right. what it does. So yeah, I guess. that's what that's what I was thinking. It was like you literally just saw her. That the only thing you can see is what she's wearing and what her what her face looks like, and clearly you've taken offense to that. Yeah. So you must be you must be offended that she's black. I never like. I guess I never read it when I watched it like that because like we've never had race relation topics in Merlin ever and like it just doesn't exist so i've always just kind of been like i don't know i guess she just doesn't like poor people <laughs> i wonder I, I, I really want to like i know we have i know we have black people listen to our podcast and i really would like someone's someone's point of view on this who is black who how they read this mm-hmm. how they read this interaction i really would like mm-hmm. to hear that yeah i would love to hear that as well i mean i assume that you know there is probably a lot of subtext in the way that Gwen is written just in general and we covered that in in our in our um Gwen episode that we'll probably read very differently to uh to a to a black audience 100%. Um I just think it's interesting that in the show itself it's just never an issue. Hmm. Like it's just not a thing like yeah. at all. Yeah. Like it's not uh yeah, yeah. and like all the objection like all the the objection that is voiced against Gwen is that she's, she's a poor. servant. Yeah. <laughs> she's poor. She's a servant. She isn't. She isn't a princess, and thus she cannot be queen. It's never about the color of her skin. But like, like I said, in in this moment, yeah, when Gwen hasn't way. Gwen hasn't done and like Vivian is used to servants. It's not that. I mean, unless she comes from a kingdom where actual medieval social structures exist, where she is used to being like served by actual noble women. In that case. Maybe she is offended by Gwen because Gwen is not a noble woman, and so she's yeah. used to being served by noble women. That is that is the only other explanation I will let slide. Vivian comes from an AU in which actual medieval social structures exist. What? <laughs> what? Oh god. Um, but yeah, it's like I mean, it's a quick way to introduce us to Vivian's character. I would have just appreciated like a couple of seconds of Gwen maybe like tripping over or just like something like just anything small that would have taken up no screen time um at all yeah, just to kind of like make her look stupid yeah especially in like relation to um after presenting her as one of Camelot's finest especially yeah. like if she just tripped over over nothing or you know some like some quick Gwen clumsiness that would have been a funnier and B uh, would have given credit to what Vivian says, which is, well, then I fear for Camelot. Also, uh, I ha- I was thinking about like why is it that Gwen has to serve Vivian? Gwen is Morgana's uh, uh, 
servant why would she serve Vivian why wouldn't they give her someone else but again if we think about this as one of Uther's nightmares uh -huh. then it makes sense because the only servants he probably knows by name in Camelot are Gwen because she's Morgana's servant and I'm Merlin nervous. because he's Arthur's servant so that yeah. makes sense now well I mean it's, a, I... it's incredible what can be explained if you think about this as one of <laughs> Uther's fever dreams <laughs> Um, but when Arthur and Gwen leave Vivian's room, they have a quote-unquote-unquote cute moment where um, we are aware of the fact that this will be a episode with a romantic storyline because two people laugh only to then stare longingly into each other's eyes and the music kicks in just as the laughing stops, which is how we know that this will be an episode with a romantic subplot, just I, in case anyone was unaware of that. I kind of like that Arwen scene. Like, uh, The only problem I have with Arwen is like their progression but i like some scenes they share together and i like how this one is like seems natural and like they're familiar mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but i yeah i agree that it is natural I, yeah it's i feel like i i like this uh this little moment as well however to me it also reads as like um, they love and then they both remember that arthur has feelings for gwen but gwen doesn't have feelings for arthur and then they are like oh this is awkward now because um like, Arthur is like, oh, I'm talking to my crush, so that's awkward for him. And Gwen is like, oh, no, he has a crush on me, but I don't have one on him, so now this is awkward now. Yeah. This is because, like you said, the last time we saw Gwen having feelings for anyone was a monster in Gwynewear when, when she was ready to run away with him and have beautiful babies. So it's just, all I'm reading here is like, oh, no, Gwen just remembered that Arthur is in love with her and now she's now she's feeling awkward because she doesn't reciprocate. Also, like, this is 100% how I would act in a moment like that. It's also a reminder to the audience that they're actually supposed to be. Yeah, that was going to be what, yeah. It's basically a visual cue for the audience to A, point out who this episode is going to be about and like if they haven't already seen the promo and B, to remind us of the subplot from Lancelot and Guinevere because they've had a couple of moments. Um, this is the only, uh, so this is the third Arwen episode in season two and it will be the last one, um, but we haven't had an Arwen episode since Lancelot and Guinevere. And so... It, yeah, the audience that watches casually needs to be reminded that, oh, these two have feelings for each other. But the problem is, yeah, it's like, I mean, I I definitely read this scene as both of them having feelings for each other, but finding it hard, like, you know, oh, we just shared a moment and now we're embarrassed. But the problem is, yeah, like, you know, as someone who is actually, you know, you've got a brain, I'm kind of like, well, it's not, it doesn't make sense because last time I saw Gwen, she didn't have feelings for all <laughs> it's, it's very frustrating. It's like Merlin thinks that I'm stupid, but unfortunately for Merlin, I've seen other Merlin episodes before. <laughs> like, it's like, unfortunately for Johnny and Julian, I do actually watch this show. So it's just kind of... No, no. Uh, unfortunately for Johnny and Julian, you actually pay attention <laughs> to this show while you watch it. <laughs> unfortunately for Johnny and Julian, I ship Lancelot Gwen. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what they established in season that, one. That's what <laughs> they wanted. Two. They're fucking with me. I swear to God. Um, so yeah, they you I know have, they they leave. Uh, do you have any other notes for this moment? I have a I have a costume note. Yes. Um, because I I mean Arthur has been wearing this before, but it's this scene in which I actually notice it because I get a prolonged shot of Arthur in almost full uh, full body and. He's wearing a blue tunic under a blue or purple jacket. I'm not entirely sure what the color is supposed to be. And 
Like honestly, with just with the cape and the circlet, which is is his cheap looking circlet, he looks like a child playing dress up. <laughs> and it's not just any child, a servant child. Like his clothes do not look like impressive at all in this scene. I'm just like, he's supposed to be the crown prince of Camelot. It's laundry day. (laughs) Couldn't you have put him in something nice? (laughs) It's laundry day. God. (laughs) For Alex, for um, (laughs) your idea about this all being Uther's dream, did you just think of it right now or did you have that idea before? I literally just thought of this while we were talking about oh just being um, a Midsummer Night's Dream. This this did not occur to me because, like I said, it has never like I never thought about this episode being like Midsummer Night's Dream because I never watched any of the behind the scenes of any of the commentary. <laughs> so I I never thought about it this way. But yeah, it makes sense now. And that, then my mind just went to well, someone should have been dreaming this. So yeah um (laughs) well speaking of wardrobe and poor wardrobe we have the one with the moths because arthur has a hole in his shirt (laughs) so that's kind of how yeah exactly so he was actually way ahead of the curve um (laughs) okay so back to the uh, yeah well uh just kind of an overall thought on this scene before i kind of get into the like little bits that i like but i really love how this scene is written like the scenes between merlin and arthur specifically but i've said already in this episode the script i think is great but this is one of those scenes where the conversation just feels like it's really natural between them like they're talking they're talking like real people and like the introduction of Gwen into the conversation feels really like authentic like it's not as though they're like oh by the way I saw Gwen earlier and then let's talk about like the romantic subplot no it starts with Vivian and then he's like oh she's really rude by the way she said this really mean thing to Gwen and then you know they have this banter back and forth between Merlin being like oh well you know careful because anyone that says anything bad about Gwen and it's it's a really nice and 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 like the whole you're blushing I'm not it's it feels really real I really like it a lot I have yeah (sighs) okay um let's see Merlin first of all costume note Merlin is still wearing blue scarf on blue shirt at the start of this episode and And a nicer jacket the nicer jacket. I thought he gave that to Freya. I thought so too, but I was wrong. <gasps> wow. Okay, so he's wearing <laughs> he's wearing the nice jacket that he lent to Freya before, but then apparently got back. He's also wearing the outfit that he buried Freya, like not the exact clothes, probably, but like the <laughs> the color theme that he wore during the Freya episode, which. It's probably an accident, but I want to say, but I like, I want to see it as continuity of him, like, still basically a little bit lingering over that. And then, I mean, he changes his clothes in, in the rest of the episode, but like, at least at the beginning of it, we have a little bit of almost continuity from the last episode. And then, um, Arthur explains to us the same thing that Alan had already explained to us, the audience. And the only reason I see that he does this is to let us, the audience, know that Arthur is aware that he should not pursue Vivian. And also it gives him the opportunity to segue into, well, she's also very rude, so I wouldn't want to. Which, Arthur, have you looked in a mirror lately? (laughs) 
But that's why I think that this scene is really important because it actually does provide us with new information. Yeah, and the, it does. And, yeah, and the information it provides us is exactly what you said. Arthur is not attracted to Vivian. This is not going to be that kind of story. And that's what this, this is so fascinating, this plot line, is that everything that happens in it kind of protects Arwen from um, internal conflict because it's all having to be orchestrated by Alan, Ed and Trickler because Arthur has no feelings for Vivian and Vivian has no feelings for Arthur, which yeah. even that, in my opinion, is pretty unique because like like later on, Alan Ed says like, you know, any other woman would have been in love with Arthur and why she isn't, we don't know. I mean, Arthur's not done anything wrong. She's just that kind of way inclined. She just doesn't like people. <laughs> like, I don't know. She just hates everybody. But um, like, even by having him have no interest in her, but her be in love with him would have been a more g- generic way to do this. But no, they just don't care about each other. And I think, yeah, this scene definitely shows that he's just, like, she's not even on his mind at all but she is on Merlin's mind and I've written here he's thirsty because he's like she is very beautiful (laughs) and I'm like Merlin please he just he just realized that he's also into women so yeah yeah he's like girl 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 (laughs) the only girl that's arrived with all these dudes and he's like what (laughs) it's also that I, f- I felt in this moment when, when Merlin starts like talking about, like Merlin says, you know, anyone being rude to Gwen would be in extreme peril. And then Arthur is like, what? And it's, I mean, I know it's supposed to be like him outraged that how dare Merlin speak of his feelings that they never speak of. But it's also like, again, this is me coming from a point of view where I'm like just really skeptic and uh, feel like that this romance is coming out of nowhere between Arthur and Gwen. It's like, it's a little bit like always uh, Arthur has forgotten that he's supposed to be in love with Gwen. And so Merlin has to remind him and also the audience. Audience. (laughs) Because we also all forgot about this. So uh, that's, that's what this is. And then, um, He's like, I do have my own vat of hot oil, you know. It's just so like witty and great. It's just such a like nice back and forth, and also vat of hot oil, ayo. But it's just <laughs> a, a vat of hot oil is not sexy, rocks. If, if a lukewarm, a lukewarm in- vat, then a lukewarm vat of oil. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> Luke, what, just a room temperature vat of oil that can be used for many things, <laughs> according to fan fiction. Anyway, anyway, um, the one. No, 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 oh, sorry, no, no, no. Anna, do you have anything you want to talk about with this? Scene? I, have, I have more That's costume stuff. Still, you have more costume. They have like how much costume stuff in this well, one it's moment? Just, it's just I I noticed that. Again, Merlin picks a blue shirt for Arthur to wear. And this is the second oh. time Arthur is going to wear a blue shirt. And then he pulls on, like, it, this is just a, an undershirt. It could have been any color. But the one he wears on top of it is also <laughs> blue. <laughs> and then, then on top of that, actually a relatively nice looking blue long sleeve shirt that he puts on top of the other nice looking long, long sleeve blue shirt is a shiny, hideous, burgundy red vest that definitely does not belong in whatever pseudo-medieval fantasy setting Merlin is supposed to be set in. <laughs> oh my god, you should have like pointed that out for the Arthur costume episode. I uh, Well, I hadn't seen this episode yet when we recorded that. <laughs> 
I'm just starting now to really look at the costumes after we recorded the costumes episode. So I have oh, um, something to say about Vivian. Like, I think the reason why she's so, you know, against Arthur's approaches later on is, I mean, like, if she's under a dad like Olaf, I don't, I don't think she would, you know, like actively seek out men. I don't know. Oh no, I I I mean there is a there's a little moment later where I'm like Vivian definitely got some action. Oh yes, no, no, I know what you're talking about. We'll get there. We'll get there. Like, um I, I think that Vivian is just like Vivian recognizes that oh, her shit. ego is too big to allow Arthur's ego, which is also very big, mm. to like they they can't they can't occupy occupy the same <laughs> space for very long. Like they're two very egocentric people, and that would never work. No, yeah. it really wouldn't. It's yeah, <laughs> but but even like to not be attracted to him, I find it very odd like she's out like she's actively just like repulsed by him almost this is this is where i come in with my head can and vivian canonically is probably a lesbian oh yeah for sure and that's why she has no interest in author whatsoever uh but yeah but she also hates gwen so it's like what is happening <laughs> i mean maybe okay i mean yeah um either she actually is racist <laughs> or she was just saying that to hide how much of a of a lady boner she has for Gwen. Maybe Stri- like okay, that's fair. Stri- okay. Like she's just she's like she sees her and is like, oh no, she hot. I better insult her before she realizes I find her hot. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely run with that headcanon for sure. Yeah. Um, um- one. It's the only way we're getting through this episode with all the headcanons. I feel like this is how we do all the episodes. Hey, reviews. I'm genuinely enjoying myself here. Speak for yourself. Okay, I, do I love this episode. It's so freaking good. <laughs> I mean, you know, good and, you know, quote unquote. <laughs> you know, the, it's... the scene we were just talking about, like, um, I was wondering, Arthur, the whole time, from the beginning to end, He's speaking in such an irritated tone. Like, even before Merlin starts speaking, he seems, like, constipated with annoyance. and Because he doesn't like visitors. He just wants to be left alone. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't want anyone visiting. He doesn't want to be doing anything. I can can super relate to Arthur, like, not, not necessarily with the visitors thing, but, like, Vivian, like, got on his nerve. Like, straight off the bat like she I'm, I'm assuming that they knew each other from that they already know each other maybe and i don't know maybe maybe not maybe this is the first time that they've met and it's already been a bad first impression for author right so he definitely whether it's been it's been something that he's already known about her or it's something that's that he's discovering for the first time because he's met her for the first time he does not like her she annoys him she offends him and he He like, he just, he sinks his teeth into that feeling of being annoyed with her and being angry about that. And he does not let it go. And I can relate to that very much because I'm the same way. (laughs) So if something gets on my nerves, I will be pissed about this forever. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, the one with all the jingling is what I've called next because we have the feast scene where Trickler is wearing. (laughs) 
a very um interesting outfit to say the least which i'm sure he's a a jester jester. yeah i'm sure that that caused the uh the sound department a whole accoutrement of problems with all the bells on that hat because to sync that up must have been an absolute nightmare with take after take um but he's just so he's just so ridiculous i absolutely love it i mean this is just i mean it's just essentially for him to get the hair like from uh from Vivian, but I kind of just like the setup they've got here with the tables. Like, I think it looks really cute. It kind of reminds me of like a wedding almost. Like, it's yeah, kind of like a cute little white setup. Tablecloths and pink roses. Yeah. 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 I'm like, I'm pretty sure I've used this um, scene like to vid uh, stuff where I've like done like a wedding AU and stuff. So, like, yeah, like it's really cute. Um, And I mean, again, I mean, I have to get these lines in here because no one else is going to do the Lord's work. And it's like, so uh, now that we've entertained the gentleman of the court, and I'm like, hey, hey. So there you go. And then, of course, you know, women don't like fire. So, <laughs> of course not. Uh, so he has That's to, just, uh, That just goes to show that he has never met Morgana before. He, uh, he is as gay as the day is long. He doesn't know anything about women. <laughs> he's he's known nothing about women. What are you talking about? He's probably never seen one before, before like this day. So I don't yeah. know. But he's I'm, just. Yeah. Okay. So what I like is that. We learned that Trickler is a jester, and from what I learned about history from several people, is that jesters were often actually advisors to kings and queens because they, you know, because no one really took them seriously. So people would say all kinds of things in front of them, and then they could go back to their kings and queens and tell them about it. Um, so I like that, you know, this kind of we see this kind of dynamic, like Elinette is definitely trusting Trickler to do his dirty work and like trusting Trickler with, with a bunch of, bunch of information, like I want war. Right. So, um, and Trickler is a jester. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Then, then for the ladies, he produces butterflies out of thin air and we get a cut to Merlin's face who immediately stop smiling like bullshit. His, his his spidey senses are tingling you can tell he's like wait was that magic and um and then he does the whole trick with uh pulling the butterfly from behind vivian's ah. ears and then while he's still in the middle of the feast he opens his hand to show the audience that he's got a lock of her hair and i'm just okay how how? I don't know, I don't know because, how. Because if he had used magic to cut it off her without her noticing, right, Morgana would have probably seen it because Morgana is sitting to Vivian's left and she would have turned to look at Vivian when Trickler went to produce a butterfly from behind Vivian's ear. So Morgana would have seen that, right? <sighs> I mean, and it's like, and, you know. and coming, just coming back to um, him showing the audience that he stole some hair, but it's like, he does it in the middle of the feast. How anyone, anyone with magic who manages to keep it secret, manages to keep it secret when they keep just flaunting it in the middle of everything all the damn time is an absolute miracle to me. <laughs> I don't know about Vivian, but if someone pulled out any type of insect from my hair, butterfly or I don't know, I would scream. I mean, I can I can be fine with a butterfly. It's not like he produced like a 
a, a toad or a worm or a spider. Yeah. Like a butterfly is, is you know, I can I can deal with a with a butterfly. I I would just have issues with like I don't want you to get this close to me. Please go away. Just just don't touch me. <laughs> but I'm not, um, I get scared when like butterflies flap too near my face. Fair enough. Fair enough. enough. I think it's really interesting the character of Trickler just in general because obviously this is the first and only time we've seen a jester character or as they would have been actually called in the Shakespearean play the the fool and it's really like interesting that they chose obviously this Shakespearean episode to give us like a fool character which like you said Alex is essentially the kind of um, right hand. I mean, they are still very much subservient, but the thing about the fool is that they are allowed to speak candidly in a way that nobody else is allowed. And so um, if you look at Shakespearean play, like the fool will be the one talking shit about everyone in the room and sometimes even the king and pointing things out. But because he does it in a way that's meant to be jovial and, you know, in rhyme and stuff like that, the king allows it. And it's kind of he's the only one allowed to speak freely around the king, which I think is kind of cool that he and Alanad then have this very open relationship more so than Merlin and Arthur because he, you know, because Alanad, as far as we can see, doesn't have a servant with him. So <laughs> that's basically a trickler is his servant as well as uh, as the jester but i just think it just adds like a whole other kind of cool shakespearean like tidbit easter egg to like have the character of the jester there and he's the one that's causing all the havoc like i just think it's so awesome and i'm really glad that you brought that up that like he is kind of like the jester character in this uh, story i wish we had more of them like that but you know who wants historical accuracy right it's like it doesn't doesn't matter it is pointless um, to want things from this show rocks it will never give you what you want i mean it gave me plenty of martha so i guess that's one thing i can be grateful for um do we have anything else to talk about with the feast scene no yeah so uh i was about to say puck so Trickler, Trickler then does a, a, a spell and then he enchants Arthur. And I mean, do we really have anything to discuss with those two moments? Um, I have one thing. So if Trickler has magic, why does he have to like grovel under King Alanid for money? Because like, it's interesting how this show puts many magical characters in like a lower status or like sometimes a victimized status. But, you know, it's sometimes... Um, you know, interesting and fun to watch their journey, like Merlin's journey or Gilly later on. But uh, I don't understand, like, why Trickler has to be so dependent. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just powerful. So I don't know. Well, I think, you know, in the context of this particular episode, Trickler was probably just born working class. And so, you know, just because he has magic, it doesn't necessarily mean that he, you know, and no one of royal standing would ever dream of coming to Camelot if they had magic because, you know, they could get into serious trouble. And I guess Trickler can hide in plain sight because he is a servant and he is of working class and no one will look at him, no one will care. And he is, quote unquote, careful with his magic. Um, You know. (laughs) Um so yeah it's i don't know but yeah that is a really good point actually i like i never thought about that like apart from um morgana and morgos uh who are of more of a um a higher standing we don't yeah we don't really see any other characters um 
that are of a higher standing with magic, which I think is super interesting. I never even thought about that, but that's really cool. I guess it's just part of the whole oppression thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> Don't know. Probably, yeah. Um, well, they're so- just all smart enough to actually keep their magic secret. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone Uther actually had magic the whole time. <laughs> um so the I've called this the one with the most fragrant day because oh, it's just one of the many um adjectives that Arthur has. And I mean let's just start off with my job is to woo. <laughs> oh my god. Um oh. I honestly feel for Merlin so much in this episode and I'm just gonna say it here because I just feel like he just wants a peaceful life and he is being forced to do stuff like by the way Gaius does nothing to help in this episode (laughs) he literally does nothing to help Merlin is doing this all on his own running a riot and god knows what else and it starts here and he's just like oh no what is it this time? <laughs> so yeah, um, but this scene is obviously fandom famous, infamous, famous, like you know, quoted and known by anyone who has you know watched Merlin more than once, and it's just so fantastic. <laughs> I really like this scene a lot. So, first of all, Merlin carries in a massive tray of breakfast. Which means that Arthur must have had some words with him about the Tesco slices of meat and cheese Merlin was serving him last episode. Just look at the amount of food on this tray. Like, it's a giant bowl of grapes, first of all. Um, that's the first thing I notice. Um, we also see Arthur watching Vivian through the window, so we see her continuing to be rude to servants, which is a thing that Arthur complained about yesterday, and now... He just watches her lovingly, which already tells us, okay, this this spell definitely worked. Arthur is not in his right mind anymore. And then, once Arthur has said the very infamous line, I must woo, <laughs> he starts strutting about the room. Like, just his entire walk is completely uh, different to before. He's, like, puffed his chest out, and he's, yes. like, taking very purposeful purposeful steps and just like very definitely strutting he's strutting and it's not even anyone else who sees him it's just him strutting about because he feels like strutting about and then um then merlin and he they have some some really great banter and and merlin thinks arthur is talking about gwen Gwen, uh, arthur of course is talking about vivian none of them use use names so we never we never clear this up and Merlin says something like, um, well, aren't you worried what your father is going to say? And Arthur says, well, does my father matter? And well, that's Merlin, one way of approaching things. <laughs> and Merlin, Merlin says, that's one way of approaching things. But actually, you should have clocked on that something is wrong right this second. Because last time Arthur was in love and didn't care what his father thought, he was enchanted by Sophia, <laughs> just like he is now. But it's so good, though. Like, the rhythm of this dialogue is it's so re- fantastic. It's like, what does my father matter? Well, well, that's one way of approaching things. It's just like, beat, beat, beat. It's, it's incredible, but it's also the first inclination that this episode is not... Like it's a fever dream. It's it's not real. <laughs> and then we have this most excellent moment where Arthur asks Merlin, "How do I express my feelings?" No, and it's like, "How do I express my feelings?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, then, then they both go 
feelings, feelings. girls. And they both look so utterly confused by the whole concept of heterosexuality. <laughs> Never have there been a gayer scene in a heterosexual context. That's true. And her just like, feelings. Who, who wrote girls. this? Who wrote this? This is just ridiculous. Feelings, girls, flowers, excellent. Einstein. <laughs> And it's just oh, it's oh, it's absolutely amazing. And Arthur is so earnest. And the best it's... part, the oh. best part is though, at the end, Arthur wants to express his feelings, but he tells Merlin to write the note. Well, I guess that tells Merlin that there's nothing wrong at all because Arthur's being very much in character. <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing suspicious with that behavior whatsoever. That's exactly what he would tell Merlin to do if he was in his right mind. Um, oh my god, it's so great. But yeah, this is a very famous scene for very, very good reason. And I will just say this now because I actually love, um, and I feel really weird about saying it because I know people hate this kind of plot line I don't know why but I love miscommunication plot like I genuinely yeah. eat that shit up I think it's yeah, so too. fantastic I love it but people hate it they're and like, like oh, the reason yeah the reason people hate it is because you know the way to a healthy relationship is to openly communicate all the time obviously and I mean that yeah, and I mean it's not it's not wrong. The way to a healthy healthy relationship is to communicate openly all the time. Like that's not wrong, but also that makes like it makes a very wholesome storytelling, but it doesn't make for very interesting storytelling. So well, I meant more like people complain because they a think it's unrealistic and b they think that it's contrived. Where I would very much disagree about that that misunderstandings and miscommunications can happen so easily in real life and obviously yeah. like you know don't put them like maybe it's the way people do them maybe they're not written properly but for example this scene i completely buy it why should they have to name the women by name when merlin's been talking about gwen the day before why would he have any need to like you know specify who he's talking about when he doesn't have a clue that Arthur's enchanted, Arthur knows who he's talking about. Why would he have any idea that Merlin's referring to Gwen? They don't need to specify because they both think they're talking about the same person. And that's why it's perfect. And it's like, you know, I just eat this stuff up. I, I love misunderstandings I and like in fiction. It works so well, both in comedy and tragedy, because like, the audience becomes so much invested in like what's gonna yes. they know what's like they know what's up but the characters don't and it's like yeah you're just hanging on to like you know yeah that's why yeah. it's even sadder in it's tragedy and even funnier in comedy oh i i, I love bradley's acting in this whole episode like, yeah. he is oh god i mean i have raved about his especially his comedic acting before but it's like he is so so good at this and like i keep watching like as i kept watching this episode i kept thinking i was like this is basically just bradley having fun this is basically just bradley being bradley with some scripted lines literally (laughs) it's literally just bradley coming to play himself (laughs) he he is like like if you watch his if you look at his social media i mean we don't know if he's like this as a real person outside of his like media personality but like he is like this on social media all the time and i love it i love it he is so good at it it just i feel like it's it just comes really natural to him to play this kind of role 
which then I feel like the reason he doesn't play this kind of role more often is because he wants to challenge himself because this is just too easy. Comedy, I, I don't know. I think comedy is very difficult to get right, and you have to have the talent for it. So maybe because yeah, but he does like naturally to him, it's not yeah, it's not worth his time. But I think he he's making a big mistake there. I think yeah, he should definitely do more of this. It's it's yeah. just so good, especially when put up against other comedic forces. Absolute absolute just I think gold. It's just- Hollywood doesn't really like to cast, you know, people who look like him in like yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. They like to cast the ugly guy. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's usually it's the ugly guy or the fat guy or the black guy or the black or the black guy, exactly. It's it's not the 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 beefy blonde guy blue with eye. the blue eyes. Yeah. yeah. With a British accent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so there's a there's a very short scene that I've just called the one with with the delivery where, where Merlin sets the note down and the only note I have for it is I just love that he goes to leave but then he tussles the flowers just to make sure they look right and that's just that's that was really sweet. So, He's just really invested in a way that I don't really understand but yeah. okay, I guess it's Oh, I think I mean he just he just ships it. Yeah. He's just he's just tin heading this ship so much. He but just... then later on he says he has his reservations. So I'm like, make your mind up, right? I mean, he he wants it to happen, but he's also like, okay, but like in order to make this happen, you have to take it slow. You can't. You have to slow burn this. You he can't likes just... the slow burn, and that's he... not what they're giving him. And and he's like, he's aware that the slow burn is necessary because he knows Uther wouldn't approve. So he's like, no, no, you have to slow burn this because otherwise it will die, and I don't want it to die. I want my ship to live forever, yeah. right? But um, um, okay. So for I I have two little things. He knocks and she doesn't answer. So his so he decides to just go inside her house anyway, like. Also, why is the door not locked? The, the, do locks well, not exist? Locks don't Maybe. exist in this show at all. Yeah. <laughs> they do when it's convenient for the oh, plot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like later with the cupboard that locks. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then uh, I'm just like, thanks for reading out the note to the audience so we so we know what author, you know, quote-unquote author, uh, send Gwen, but also... And I can't believe Gwen fell for this, but like Arthur always calls her Guinevere. Always. He he never he never calls her Gwen. I think I'm I'm pretty sure he never calls her Gwen. I'm pretty sure he always calls her Guinevere. And he doesn't yet, put a name in the note though. He does. On the front it says Gwen. Oh, okay. Sorry, I like I thought you meant in the note. I was like, no, well, no. no he doesn't. On the just front mind. of the note it says oh. Gwen. Whereas if Arthur had written this, it would say Guinevere. Yeah, that's true. That's I'm true. so mad it, about this. I'm well, so- I guess Merlin isn't with them like when they're alone, so he wouldn't know that, would he? Yeah, yeah that makes sense. No, but like, I don't maybe Gwen. But it should, have, it should have clued in Gwen, which again, this is just a fever dream by Uther. Maybe this is not really real. Maybe um, Guinevere knows that um, Merlin wrote it for Arthur. But, you know, <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, that makes sense actually, because yeah. she knows them well enough. Yeah. Maybe Arthur is dyslexic and she knows that he can't actually <laughs> read or write anyway. So he's, she's like, Yeah, Merlin wrote this, so thanks, thanks for that. Um one thing Which I- makes sense where she's like, Ooh, I'm having an interesting day. Did you write my note for me? <laughs> <laughs> um one thing I have to say is the note it says the barriers that keep us apart are nothing compared to the power of 
and I really thought that it would rhyme and say the heart or something, and he ends with true love, and I'm I was oh, so disappointed. I was like, it doesn't so rhyme. Cool. It's not satisfying. <laughs> Oh, no, but I guess, you know, true love, like, true love, you know, I had to get that in there. So. Um, the scene following this, okay, there's, like, two or three scenes like this, which I I think they mention it in the audio commentary, yeah. where you in the scene, I've called it the one with the bullshit, because notice how, like, we start on these, like, conference scenes. There's, like, three of them in the in, in the episode. And you just have Anthony ad-libbing some random fucking dialogue. Uh, let me see if I write some of it down here. Um, so there is one final note that needs to be taken into consideration. Uh, it is the uh, the southern border. Yes, well, on that note. And they're literally just talking some random later on, Later on, Olaf goes like, this is a point. I am willing to willing to concede, but really slowly. <laughs> and so, on the final note of the agreement, yes, well, this is a point I'm willing to concede, and it's just like I. Th- didn't like i think it was alice or someone in the commentary who was like what are you guys talking about <laughs> it's just like, oh i the love best. alice Troughton in, in the commentaries oh she looked she seems like such a lovely person i would she is but she also she is but she was also the one that insisted on the slap which is what's coming next uh, and it's yeah. just like i'm like really alice, like alice that's not alice please like that's the one where i was kind of like mm, i want to like you but stop um, but just before we get to the slap, there's like that moment in the um in the thing where Arthur's obviously bored and enchanted and Merlin pops his hand around the corner and he pops up like a puppy, which obviously is just the most adorable thing. And like I've um I've used it for like a million and one like gifts where like um Arthur's like gay radar is like going boyfriend, boyfriend, boyfriend. But it's just funny, just like in general, it's just like the funniest little doop and so cute it's so adorable it's the best thing god Bradley author is so adorable in this entire episode like once he stops being bored in the beginning he just goes on to full-on cute it's It's so brilliant it's his faces are just constantly amazing it's just Bradley James what the fuck is your face I just (laughs) I I want to slap it but like affectionately so oh gosh um and uh, then we have the one with the slap, which is where they go and like walk out into the corridor. And uh, like this is where I started to really notice like the more Shakespearean dialogue. Fuck! Like, I w- oh god! I wish I'd written down. Please tell me that you have some dialogue written down in your notes. Um, I don't, but I can look it up on the Merlin Vicky. It's fine. Uh, let me just. Uh, I'll pull it up. You, you keep going. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Basically, again, this is just a stunning portrayal of like the miscommunication trope because we have both of the women walking towards them so it doesn't look weird you know like that they're, that they're talking about two different people but then of course it does come out because you know it had to come out um eventually that merlin you know uh knows who arthur's talking about because he mentions gwen by name and then arthur slaps around the face and yeah bradley because he is a good boy um tried to uh push against the slap in fact there's a clip of him in um yeah, he uh there's a there's a clip of him in the um Secrets and Magic uh stuff that they did in season 2 where he goes up to Alice and he's like I was wondering if we could do something other than a slap just like a and he mimics like 
grabbing Colin by like 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 the like his shirt or like his jacket. He's like maybe just that, and Alice just goes, "Oh, I like the slap," and he goes, "Okay, fine," and he just like leaves. <laughs> but he did try to um, he did try to um, not have that in there. So, so the dialogue. <clears throat> Um, once Arthur sees Gwen and Vivian walking down the other end of the corridor, Arthur goes, oh, but heaven has blessed me. She's even more beautiful than before. That's Don't you one. agree? That's the one. Oh, heaven has blessed me. That's the one I think where I noticed it. I was like, yeah, yeah me too. That's exactly yeah. when I was like, I my, my note for this is I love how Bradley is playing this. He's basically channeling a love struck character from a Shakespeare play with less rhyming, but the rhythm of his speech Reminds me of Shakespeare's sonnets, and he sure as heck attempts to be somewhat poetic. He is Romeo in Act One when he is thinking about Rosalind. Like he is absolutely Romeo in that moment yeah. where he's basically like, she is, you know, more beautiful, more than. I mean, it's absolutely Shakespearean. It is so fantastic. Oh, but heaven has blessed me. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, oh, I just love it. It's <laughs> so yeah. great. And do you have anything to? to- to talk about about this moment where everything is cleared up for Merlin or, or um, not necessarily. No, I have something in the next scene though. Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah. So uh yeah. the one where things start to go wrong is what I've called it. Mm-hmm. Not only for the characters involved, but also for the audience who wanted something that made sense. Because it is <laughs> basically I mean we don't I mean I'm not gonna spend too long dwelling on this because everything I think about this scene I've basically already covered, but it's just this line about hope that yeah. I find really, really in terms of the structure of how the hell this relationship like Gwen has not been shown to be pining after Arthur at all she's not been shown to be crushing on Arthur at all it's all been from his point of view so the only way I will accept this is if they had given us anything between episodes four and ten to warrant this like yes we've seen her like mentor him and care clearly care about him as a person but that's not the same as a crush and so i just they just didn't do enough for me to buy for me to buy her being like i've you know i thought i'd lost all hope like like even if it it was like a little scene within this episode of her like longingly looking after him or something then it would show that she had some hope before but like but but we know that she didn't that's the thing and it's just it's just so bizarre the way that they chose to do this i mean it is a clear uh example of writing where you just don't check what you did before like they basically were like oh yeah gwen was in love with arthur all this time right yeah 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 yeah. but she wasn't and like they were were reading too much fan fiction in between that's the problem maybe they were reading all the arwen fan fiction i was like oh yeah no they are established already we can we just there was no arwen fan fiction (laughs) (laughs) how dare you say that there was was there was like what one um my yeah my grievance with this scene is um, Merlin Merlin gets slept by Arthur and realizes oh shit I put the note in the wrong girl's house and then presumably because Arthur goes back to the treaty negotiations and Gwen is following Vivian wherever Vivian is going Merlin immediately runs to Gwen's house to get rid of the note and the flowers he left there and yet Gwen is already there this is like this fairy tale with the what is it in in Britain the tortoise and the and the rabbit, mm. where where Gwen yeah. is just like I'm already here and I'm just like how, 
how did you make it there before Merlin when you still had duties in the form of Vivian and Merlin was free to immediately run off, which, I mean, that's, that's what we assume happened because, you know, there's a, there's an immediate cut and just like, Gwen must be magic. She must be able to teleport because there's no no other way that she would have had time to walk down to her house in the middle of the work day and put the flowers in a vase and also read the note at least well, once, probably more than once. Well, the way I kind of like, I mean, if you look at the scenes that follow that, which is Merlin and Gaius followed by. Uh, Merlin tucking Arthur in is the only way I can really explain it um, you have Merlin being slapped and then the following scene is him at Gwen's house but no one says it's right after it happened I assume Merlin had many things that he had to do for Arthur and maybe Arthur needed him for stuff and so he couldn't get away and the only time like that is like maybe at the end of the day like once Gwen has no, already gone home I, I don't accept that because we get no like the way this is the way it is cut in the episode is we assume Merlin realizes, oh shit, I put the I put the flowers in a note in the wrong house, in the wrong room. I'm going like for me this reads as very urgent and as him running off immediately. Like if anyone if anyone had like in the like right after he said, Oh no, and we know, okay, now he wants to run off. If Gaius had called his name and been like, Merlin, come help me right the second, or Arthur had shouted his name for him to follow. I would have believed that Merlin hadn't had time to go and get rid of it right now. But since there is no such sign of anything stopping Merlin from going right now, I can't believe this. Which again brings me back, this must be a fever dream of Luthus because nothing else makes sense. <laughs> um, so uh, speaking of Merlin and Gaius... Um, we have a scene with them because of course we do and honestly the own I mean this is kind of like an exposition like we said a lot of the Merlin Gaia scenes are a bit expendable but it's kind of important for Gaius to know what's going on and also to kind of like you know Merlin's going to be doing a lot of homework there so Gaius you know can't just be unaware of what's going on so yeah like okay fine but the line that I like because again this is one of the gayest straight episodes ever is Arthur's in love and how did you cause that? <laughs> it's like well Gaius let me tell you about the dragon's call. <laughs> it's like let's just start from there and see how far we go followed by valiant the poison chalice the moment of truth um so yeah uh but that that just is always like and again that's been used for so many vids like uh, mostly uh crack vids like it's not like like super emotional stuff it's just a line that i was like and how did you cause that like why would you ask that like what is Mer like that doesn't even sound like a like a like an appropriate response to what merlin said yeah. arthur's in love and how did you cause that well obviously he did <laughs> I think guys. What does that even mean? I think guys just assumes anything that happens to Arthur is Merlin's fault. Oh my god! Which honestly makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. So obviously, what we have next is the one with Destiny and Chicken, um, which is so great. Um. Just. I mean, I don't find a lot of these lines that funny anymore just because I feel like I've lived with them for a decade. So, like, you know, the Destiny and Chicken line for me is just, like, it's become a meme now, but I'm sure I laughed at it at the time. But the things I do laugh at in this scene is the smelling of the armpit right before he opens the door. Me too. I have that same note. <laughs> like, it's so great. And um... Alice is Bradley's autonomous thought. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I absolutely agree. And, you know, uh, the beans are cold, but the meat is very good. <laughs> like, those lines. 
I'm just, just actually, I, I just remember that you know between Destiny, my love, and Destiny and Chicken, there's a really long awkward pause. I didn't remember that when I was thinking about the scene, but I think that's really well done. Fantastic. It's um, he turns. What I love is he turns Canadian there for a second. He's like beautiful combination, eh? <laughs> I'm just like. <laughs> What? And then Vivian is not impressed and she shuts the door in his face, which um I wanna say I relate, but also I don't because it's Bradley and in the in his case I wouldn't shut the door, but like with other people I probably would have done that. Yeah. She had um, like an older sister, like a teenage older sister. Yeah, essentially, which makes sense to what you said earlier about them progressing in age. Um, But the cherry on top of this scene for me is just when she slams the door, it bangs and it goes, just five minutes? (laughs) What do you expect to achieve in five minutes? (laughs) What on earth was that? I don't know if that was in the script or what, but also the way he says it in his very much Bradley voice and not his Arthur voice. It was so great. Merlin coming up like my lord I do not think your advances are welcome and Arthur just looking so put upon and like (laughs) and I really do feel for him in this moment because he did a really nice romantic gesture like nothing he did in this moment is creepy or wrong or bad it is no it is because she she uh, slammed the door in his face and he opens the door again instead of... Oh, okay, I forgot about that bit. Right, he sorry. he opens the door again right away and that's when he says the line about the, about the beans being cold but the meat being good. And like I'm just like, like, this is where I feel like we really get a sense of how out of it Arthur is, how much of a... Like, how much he is enchanted because I don't f- think he would have done this if he had been in his right mind. Like, if someone had... Like, if, if a lady or princess had slammed the door in his face he would not have just gone and opened it yet again except for like unless it was morgana like with morgana it's a different dynamic because they're siblings right yeah at least in this season they're siblings um but like um with with someone he is generally trying to woo he would not just open open her door right back up again i say this yet at the end of the episode he he went into Gwen's house without her permission. So uh, yeah, I, like, what do I know? I mean, it doesn't bother me just because, you know, I feel like it's one of those things where he had this whole like speech planned out and he wanted to be really romantic and he just said hello and she slammed the door. So in, so like it so in his mind he's like, Oh well maybe maybe she, like maybe I need to try like and be nicer and he opens the door but he doesn't go in, like he just stands there and Not he never true. like tries to barge in. Yeah, I mean that's that's his only saving grace is that he doesn't try to go. He in. just wanted to be heard until the end. He was like, "I had a whole thing. No, just wait until I finished." <laughs> you know, because it is also very rude to just slam the door in someone's face, even if you don't want them there. Like, at least say no, thank you. Like, she literally just doesn't say anything. She's just it's like, you know, you are also a guest in his house. You could be a bit nicer than that. You know, just like, no, thank you. I don't want any chicken. Good night. But you know, don't just slam it. Like, you know, I might think, oh, hang on, did you? Did you not hear me? Okay, uh, can I try again? I don't know. I feel like he's not, like, you know, he doesn't have any ill intentions in this moment. He's just like, oh, can you just look at the nice platter I made for you <laughs> or got from the kitchens? Um, and then he leaves being very, very put upon. Um, and then obviously we have Trickler kind of hiding in the corner and we and we need him there because he needs to realize that the spell, um, unfortunately, hasn't taken hold in the way that he hoped because he thought Vivian would, you know, like Arthur because that seemed to be a given. She doesn't, which is when we have the scene that I've called the one with the best line 
Ever. In all of Merlin. Oh, we too. Oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> we start with a slam against the table where King Alanad is playing chess with himself because, of course, he is. <laughs> and he just goes, damn it. Every woman in the land is attracted to this boy. And he grabs himself by the neck for some reason, like kind of like takes a deep breath and goes, I'm almost attracted to him myself. (laughs) Okay, I guess this is where I come in and ruin this. It is. Because I hate this. I I absolutely hate this. Because to me, this is just um, what it's called queer coding. In which um, Elenad and Trickler are both the villains of this episode and they're both being very creepy and terrible but they are coded as like these queer characters in the sense of that they are attracted to men and it is sort of implied that you know they are terrible people and they are attracted to men which is just the worst and that's why I absolutely hate this line and how they are care- like I love Trickler as like I, I like them as villains and I like Trickler's energy and I have l- fewer problems with with Trickler but like I just I just I hate it I hate it so much I hate it so much funnily enough um according to uh Bradley who was obviously like um at uh, at the table read and stuff and I think I think is he the one in the commentary, Anne? Yeah, I think he is. But yeah, but he talks about actually how when when everyone read that line in the script, they didn't think it was going to be funny. They just thought it was going to be like um, a sarcastic remark like on his part where basically it was like, every woman in the land is attracted, you know, Jesus, you know, I'm almost nearly attracted. Like it's sort of like a how ridiculous is it that this woman isn't attracted when, you know, me, a dude, could even be attracted to him. And then apparently when they showed up on set and like the way that he played it, it just made it so much funnier and like people just cracked up because it was just like this one moment of completely like reinterpreting the line. And there's something about it that I just think is so fantastic. Like because, you know, yes, it's queer coding, but I feel like Trickler is way more queer coded than Alanid. Like I think Alanid is just kind of yeah, but like Trickler, a creep. But Trickler is also the um, like I mean he is the one who does it all. But like we get the sense that he does it because he is forced into doing it. Even mm-hmm. though I don't, yeah, I'm I'm not really super buying it that he's forced into it mm-hmm. either because mm-hmm. he clearly enjoy he clearly enjoys wreaking <laughs> havoc, right? Yeah. Um, but like from like I see the, the way like. Trickler is doing it because he enjoys chaos. Alanad is doing it because he wants war. So, <laughs> speaking um, of, I need war. <laughs> peace will make me poor. It's knocking <laughs> off the pieces pieces one by one. <laughs> and I love how the whole purpose of this scene is talking about job security. <laughs> He's like, you know, poor kings can't afford knights. Or jesters, as he looks up. It's so good. It's such a ridiculous scene. But like I said, it just comes from like, Aladdin is just outrageously over the top with everything he says, including the whole, I need war. It's like, I mean, you don't, I mean, you could find a hobby. You don't need war. (laughs) I absolutely love this scene so much. It's probably one of my favorite scenes, like uh, comedic moments. 
in all of Merlin and just how Trickler is so kind of like um, apologetic and skittish and like giggly in the corner and trying to like calm the situation down. It's like, not Lady Vivian, my lord. It's just so brilliant. I think they're both so amazing. I, like I said, I need to see both of them in other roles because I love them in these parts so much. Um, but yeah, we have an issue because Lady Vivian is not responding to the spell. And so it's because she's a lesbian. Yeah. There's a lot of gay in such a straight episode, right? <laughs> in fact, honestly, I genuinely, when I was watching this episode this morning, like, I just, I feel like I forgot about Arwen about five times. Like, I just was yeah. enjoying everything else and just basking in everything else about it that I forgot this was supposed to be their episode because they're barely in it, actually. <laughs> they're really not very, they're not in it much at all. Like, they're kind of mentioned, but, like, they have, like, two kind of, full proper romantically coded scenes and then like a couple of moments but it's very much like like trickler and alan would have a lot of lines like merlin has a lot of lines vivian is obviously in it a lot and arthur and gwen just aren't in it very much um the one with a lot of pouting because arthur looks so sad in, in bed and he genuinely looks really upset and i just want to be like oh and I love how Bradley made Arthur's voice like hoarser and huskier. Like I think it's really like he's been crying. Yeah, and like yeah, abundant. Yeah. Oh, it's so sad. And like how he just kind of like, like yeah, like Merlin kind of I don't know, like tucked him in, gave him a hot chocolate. <laughs> he's like got some kind of cup, and then he just kind of like rot, like turns over and like just pulls the covers up to his neck he just wants to be left alone and i'm just kind of like oh it's so sad bless him and he's just kind of like yeah he's got a full-on pout like his lip is just full-on like out and just pouty and sad and it yeah i don't i don't like him sad and i don't think merlin does either he's kind of like oh shit like how am i gonna fix this <laughs> um With blowjobs I mean, that's always the answer. That's pretty much what I had canon happened once we cut to the next moment. But um, I uh, I assume there's a scene of Vivian getting enchanted I mean, at some point. Yeah, I, and then this is a scene where also Arthur pulls the lock of hair from out yeah. of his pillow, and Ronan yeah. finally realizes, okay, something something strange is happening here. Um, which yeah. uh, I guess just begs the question of like. Why Why does the lock of hair need to be under his pillow? Like, why can't it just be used as part of the enchantment? Because, like, once it's removed from the pillow, does that mean that the enchantment, like, doesn't break? Well, clearly not. So why does the lock of hair have to be under the pillow? Like, I'm, ass- I'm assuming it's a case of, like, it just has to be... It has to be there during the night when the when the potion takes effect. And after oh, okay. that, it's, it's... It's just useless, yeah. It's just useless after that. Um... Yeah, but then, yeah, the next one is uh, where my Merlin guys finally figure it out and I'm getting really bored by all this repetition the of one, things we already know. I named it the one where Gaius helps with the narrative part 39,724. <laughs> yes. Basically. Although I will say that this line about Alanad being cowardly really confused me because, like, it's literally not cowardice. It's just, like, using his brain, like, <laughs> causing war <laughs> without getting caught up like what's cowardly about it like no one like what like doesn't like make any sense <laughs> it's just being smart he does say it's genius which is <laughs> which is fair but yeah it's maybe, just you know yeah i mean alanet is a really good villain maybe it's laziness because he attempts to get money from like something he you know is kind of 
distant from. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Um, the one with the bedhead is what I've called next, which is, I think, uh, the morning after Vivian gets enchanted, and I just have it because it's one of my favourite, like... Oh, hang on, hang yeah. on. Um, I have the one where Trickler is back in this room, which is when uh, he cuts off the lock of hair. So... This time he has to use tiny scissors to cut the hair, which then again brings me back to how did he get the lock of hair from Vivian? Because if he used scissors, I'm sure Vivian or Morgana would have noticed. So I, whatever. And like, never mind that Trickler got into Arthur's room two nights in a row without anyone noticing, right? Now he also got into Vivian's room in the middle of the night without anyone noticing. Like, Olaf arrived with knights. We've been told so many times already in this episode that he is incredibly overprotective of Vivian and would not let anyone near her. So why on earth would he not station guards outside her door at all times, let alone at night, in a castle where doors don't lock? The trickler has magic, and... Merlin gets away with anything with magic. Yeah, and everyone everyone can teleport with magic except with except for Merlin, who never learns it. <laughs> even though he is supposed to boast supposed to be the most powerful sorcerer of all times. Yeah, okay, sorry, I forgot about that. I don't know, part. Maybe maybe he caused like you know a distraction or something like Merlin always does. <laughs> it doesn't really bother me because i feel like these are the kinds of things when it comes to a plot that for me are just like unimportant like how did this character get into this room i don't care (laughs) like like, i like like i genuinely don't care like they would have found some way like we didn't see what vivian's room looks like from the outside when arthur shows up there are no guards so we can assume that there are no guards and so trickler just opened the door and walked right in like for me like it's just like it doesn't bother me that he can sneak around places he is the the pixie character he's meant to be everywhere and everywhere so it like it didn't feel out of place for me personally but uh, i mean obviously olaf should have like stationed guards outside her room but we already saw her room earlier and we know that he didn't so you know it doesn't really bother me much but um yeah he's wreaking havoc again (laughs) um and uh merlin is uh has been up all night uh trying to find a an antidote to the love spell and I just love this scene because he has the cutest like sticky up your hair oh. it's just the most adorable thing it's like one of my favorite screenshots is him like kind of like laying in that book and it's just it's just so great I absolutely love it and uh yeah another spell that Merlin can't break he's meant to be most powerful right <laughs> mm-hmm. he is <laughs> oh my god um the next scene I believe is the one with breakfast one uh, which is what trickles <laughs> Oh it's my god. <laughs> it's I just love it. Like I love everything about it. Like just him showing up and be like, I brought you breakfast <laughs> like pointing to it ridiculously. And how silly they are with each other. Like and how Vivian is just completely adorable, like now that she's enchanted just like Arthur was, you know. And I have like um like I'm really curious as to if like Olaf and Alanet's kingdoms are like near each other and if Trickler and Vivian like have met before because they seem like really friendly with each other or is that just me? I think it's just Vivian's um totally new personality that she gets from being in love. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. 
Maybe no, it's no, no. Just... From from she's not in love. She is enchanted. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. enchanted. <laughs> That's where the new personality comes from. Uh, but we have my second favorite joke in the episode where she's like, "I'm in love," and he's like, "Oh, how wonderful!" Oh, with me. <laughs> she just makes like <laughs> she walks away, and then she starts talking about how Arthur is beautiful and like has been sculpted by the gods himself, and then he does like a bicep curl. Goes, well, it must be me. <laughs> I love Trigger so much. But again, like that line had to have been ad libbed with me. <laughs> he's he's just enjoying himself so much. As am I watching it. It's just the best. And um yeah, uh she just she's absolutely adorable with him. Also, I love that he's like, um, how could he resist you when you look so beautiful? And she's like, but in my nightgown, I'm like Dude, that looks like a normal dress. Yeah, thanks. I was. <laughs> I wonder if this is like I. I remember Connor being very offended by things that Vivian wears, and I wonder if it's this one or if it's any of the other clothes she wears. But like, like this is a nice looking dress actually she's wearing. Like, I I like it from just how it looks. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't look. I mean, I guess maybe they just wanted her in something that could look like she would be able to get away with just walking around in it and that the people in universe know that it's a nightgown but i'm like okay it just she looked dressed is all i'm saying when when he came in i didn't i didn't know that she was wearing a nightgown but um uh when she runs off and he just like licks his eyebrow and he looks in the mirror (laughs) him him and iridian should like start a club of like (laughs) ridiculous um merlin villains although i feel like they have like different approaches and I think they and, really do. But they're both from the same club, is what I'm saying. <laughs> but like, like Trickler, Trickler's being ridiculous on purpose. Aridian is ridiculous on accident. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like Trickler is reveling in his own like plan. He's like, ooh, eyebrow. I'm a villain. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> he is so ridiculous. Um. Then, uh, what do I have uh, named? Um. Oh, um, oh, okay. One, so the okay. I have yes, the one, is... the one in the courtyard next. Yeah, because Arthur is sadly the... cuddling his horse. Yeah, I called it the one with the horse patting. He's uh-huh. just like, oh, horsey, you understand me. <laughs> um, okay. I know I complimented the script before. This doesn't stop now. Although I, mean... I will say, I like the I like the miscommunication in this scene where like um, Arthur is like. I think you're rather close to the lady in question. And Gwyneth's like, oh yeah, you could say that. Yeah, but that's the line I really don't like because no one would say it that way. Like, this is where miscommunication annoys me is in moments like this because it's really nice. I love the dialogue between them up until that moment because why why would he say that? You are very close to the lady in question. Like, well, what does that I mean, even... Like, that doesn't... The, 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 uh, the reasoning is that, you know, he can't in public say, oh, wait, you are the lady that I'm talking about, so tell me what you think. Because, you know, he's... he, Like, the, the reasoning behind it, like, in Gwen's mind and in probably the writer's mind, is, like, he has to be cryptic about it because he can't profess his love in public. The the problem I have with this scene is that Gwen is normally a clever person, okay? But she doesn't realize that Arthur would never in a million years talk about his feelings in public with her. Yeah. I mean, like, he's, it's yeah. just, 
he just he would never do that. He is like the most emotionally constipated person on the planet. Only like only Uther is worse, probably. But like Well, he has done cryptic shit like this before, like in Once a Future Queen in the like in the corridor, like in that same area, <laughs> just like a little bit further up towards the other end. He goes, you know, um what happened while I was staying with you, my father would never understand, you know, kind of being cryptic. Um so it, like that doesn't necessarily well that was but that was because he had to make it clear to her that they can't have a public relationship like that was absolutely 100 percent necessary because something had happened between them and he had to make sure that she understood that nothing else can happen between them this is literally coming out of nowhere like even sending her the note and the flowers is coming out like for gwen who doesn't know that Arthur has recently been enchanted to love someone. For her, it's coming out of nowhere. They had nothing except that short little moment in the corridor where they where they giggled together and then looked awkwardly at each other, which we are supposed to believe has happened between them time like before, because um, apparently that's what they do now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like um, getting the flowers and the note for Gwen is completely out of the blue. And I'm like, Gwen, you realize that nothing has changed. Like the situation is still the same. It was six episodes ago. It's yeah. still the same thing. Um, I just want to say, I, I think I like how cheeky they're being here. Like, mm -hmm. um, it's ironic because Arthur's not even in love with Gwen, but uh, I'm right now, but um, yeah. Like, I think it's quite cute, like, how they're, like, you know, kind of back and forth. And their dynamic is much more interesting and likable. And it works better when Arthur's not so, like, you know, he's not yeah. softening around Gwen. And, like, Gwen's not, like, acting so shy and that kind of thing. That You mean when he's being himself? <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> it's incredible, right? <laughs> Arthur being himself. What a foreign concept. Yeah, like, I don't know, Gwen's much more, like, outspoken, like, kind of more confident, and, like, Arthur's kind of being, like, you know, cheeky, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's better than most other scenes with them talking together, but the irony is that, like, you know, Arthur doesn't even like her right now, so. <laughs> yeah. So... The next one is the one where Merlin brushes a hog's head. That's my, because... my title is the one with Alice Troughton's best decision ever. <laughs> Apparently it was hers. <laughs> I just love it. Oh my gosh. Can I just talk about that for a little bit? Sure. Do, please. I don't know. Maybe it's like normal and servants in Camelot are expected to brush their master's stuffed animals daily but like it's just a little like motions that Merlin casually does like around the snout it's so funny uh that's the only thing I have for that whole scene <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it is one of, uh again we just have comedic gold after comedic gold in this episode I can't deal with it like just um yeah, Merlin just opening the door and her calling Arthur her love and him going, you what? <laughs> and then her walking in and just like poetic and then going, now fetch him. And he goes, I can't. She goes, you will, shan't. It's just, 
it's so rhythmic again like they must have rehearsed this they must have rehearsed this i don't believe that they could have done it so perfectly without it and just merlin's he clutches his hands because i'm asking you to leave he just so desperately wants things to go back to how they were 24 hours ago georgia and colin are such an underrated comedic duo like oh fantastic and then her just like whining like i want my love i want to see him now and then climbing into his bed and sniffing his pillow and she's like a love that what what did you say like something about time a love for all time but that's later on i think but she calls it a a love for all time a love stronger than time yeah (laughs) she like kind of like reaches for the words like a love a love stronger than time a lot it's fantastic it's fantastic like yeah but merlin oh there's also this funny thing where she's like my love my heart's delighted and and she walks in and goes oh no (laughs) he knows he knows this is not going to be a peaceful couple of days for him again um but then like there's like a little thing in between this part and the next which is like one continuous scene but it's um i put the one with more bullshit and all i've got in my notes is now moving on to our final parts blah 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 because that's basically again it's just some ad-lib dialogue and then olaf's hilarious what He's just such a cartoon character at this point. I absolutely love him. Um, I think there's probably a shot of Trickler looking mischievous somewhere because there yeah, should yeah. be. Yeah. And then uh, I've called the next one the one where it gets hilarious because I think uh, Merlin um, essentially like, yeah, there's like that whole sequence of Vivian being like, oh, my love, my love. And then uh, there's like a shot of I think Arthur walking th- down one side of the corridor, Olaf walking down the other side of the corridor, and I go, oh no, oh no! It's just <laughs> so Shakespearean and so funny. I absolutely adore it. I just ah, oh, I'm so happy this episode exists. <laughs> and then he walks. I was like, right. And like the thing is, he was trying to be nice before, but now he's like, okay, you need to go. <laughs> just go get out of my husband's bed now i was nice before but i've had enough and then he just puts her to sleep and um there's a really nice shot of when arthur walks into the room and then he like turns the corner and like the like i don't know again they must have rehearsed this a lot to get this timing perfect because the second arthur pops into frame we see like the door clicking closed yeah like he like 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 he manages to get her in there like at the very last second. It's so great. Um, and then Ola charges into the room uh, with um, with uh, you know uh, distrust and anger, and he says that Trickler here has told me that the Lady Vivian is in your room, and Arthur thinks it's a good idea to respond with, "If only that were true." <laughs> Arthur is so cute in this entire scene. Like his his face his is just in this whole scene. Yeah, it's just how, it's uh, praising Bradley again. But I just love how he's like not afraid to make anything like like make himself look silly. Like it's just what feels right at that moment for the character. Absolutely. Oh my god, it's fantastic. Especially when Olaf grabs him and he looks down at Oh no, sorry, no, like when he points No he first grabs him and then he's like "Hmm?" like like his eyes go really wide and then afterwards (laughs) when when Merlin tries to calm the situation down and Olaf like lets him go, points a finger at him and just looks down at the finger. (laughs) 
It's like, put that thing away. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just, um, it's really, really fantastic. And yeah, like you guys said, he's just so earnest. He's like, oh, if, oh, if I've done anything wrong, um, you know. But actually, funny enough, this is like, this is probably funny enough, one of the most adult lines that we've ever had in mind. <laughs> which is ridiculous it's like oh if only that were true you know aka what i would be doing if she was in my room really and it's just so bizarre like that this is the the episode that it's in i don't think we ever have a reference to that in merlin at all like just in that one moment it's so it's so interesting um and then trickler comes into frame <laughs> and starts doing his <laughs> <laughs> and he's like wiggling his fingers and he eyes go to the side he like pinches his fingers together goes to open the door and then and uh, <laughs> like increasingly aggravated <laughs> and Merlin's like well that hasn't opened in years <laughs> why wouldn't it like what why would you keep it if it doesn't open <laughs> And I love that Trickler obviously doesn't fall for the bullshit, but yeah, um, yeah uh, Olav just grabbing him, going, You buffoon! He like throws him across the room. <laughs> Poor Trickler. Oh my God. Um, and also, like, when Olav like, apologizes and Arthur just does his little finger wiggle, just like, Oh, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, am, I am magnanimous. I will, I will forgive this. <laughs> oh my God. And then um, Olaf. <laughs> informs them to check on the Lady Vivian and remain outside her room. <laughs> Finally, he's posting some guards in front of her door, which then begs the question, how, how Merlin manages to get her get back her in her room. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fucking God. And then like, the closet door and the back door is open or something. Yeah. <laughs> just... Oh my God. Ugh. Um, well, the... <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Do you have anything to say about this scene, Alex? No. Oh, no. Gosh. You you basically we we've said it all. That's just Bradley's comedic timing is fantastic. It's perfect. Um the next one is where Gwen puts the note under Bradley's door. I oh sorry. <laughs> Gwen puts the note under Arthur's door. Yeah. And um uh, from there ensues the failed date. Like we see Gwen getting ready in her room. Oh, I oh with... I have I have I have another oh, one. Okay, um, sorry. Please go ahead. Sorry, sorry. Um, no, because there's because uh, there's a scene between Alan Ed and Trickler again, where basically Trickler is groveling <laughs> and going, like just being ridiculous. Say you forgive your boy. <laughs> He's like, what? What's he gonna do to me? That vat of hot oil is waiting. <laughs> And then Alanid is just sitting there having none of it. Like he's just like still as a statue. And what and the and and the line I love is when he informs him of how much time he's got in Trickler's like, there's plenty of time. And Alanid is just like savagery upon savagery when he's like, it's less time than you've had already. <laughs> it's just like he's just so fantastic with how he's just completely still for the first time ever. Um and then um then we have just like a little moment in the banquet hall where there's just more randomness happening where we cut on a bunch of dudes laughing at nothing. <laughs> the one with the badly laughter. And Uther, okay, Uther's goblet is is it upside down? It doesn't seem like No no. I I think I think it is like I was I was looking at that as well. I'm pretty sure that's what it's supposed to look like. It's not upside down, it's just 
How is a baby? I don't know what it's compensating for, but um. <laughs> yeah, anyways, that actually comes with um the Morgana action figure I saw. So, <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> oh my god um and then yeah alex like you said we have the thing with the note which my only question about the note is that like how does arthur know where to meet like like obviously i know that he thinks he's meeting vivian but how is like how would he know where they're supposed to meet like come at sunset like it could be you know at the lake it could be somewhere in the like it could be anywhere but why would he know to go there and more importantly why didn't gwen specify where he should like again i know that she's being purposely cryptic in case the note gets intercepted but again how does she know he knows where to go i'm surprised that when she like bl- blows the candle out later she's like hmm, maybe he didn't show up because i didn't tell him where to go <laughs> <laughs> oh god i mean you know i just i guess you know the power of love is stronger or some shit i, I don't mean know. to be fair arthur doesn't read the entire note out to us he fair only enough. reads the bits that are relevant for us to know Maybe the the node actually said something um, like "come come to my room" or like yeah, like it yeah. could have the the node could have specified and yeah. like just my place or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, true, true, true. And but but also didn't read out. It's not like when Merlin read out the note helpfully for the audience. Right, it's just Arthur reading the important bits because Arthur is a single-minded, like one-track mind. He just he... girl, girl, girl. <laughs> That's oh giving God. him more credit than I than than I would have done. I would have like I was thinking is like sex, sex, sex. So <laughs> I'm gonna um, get laid. I just love the music here, though. Like, there's like a ticking, a little ticking tune to like show both of their like nervous excitement and then like later on when it goes to Gwen it's like this like uh, lovely flute sound to show like Gwen's like steadfast longing yeah yeah apparently (laughs) (laughs) apparently apparent longing which appeared this episode okay um the helps uh then we have the one with the climb um which I mean, that's a nice blue tint there, buddy. Um, it's also a nice green screen. Yeah. <laughs> nice day for night. <laughs> also, that's not sunset. <laughs> just just going to point that out. That's yeah. definitely the middle of the night. <laughs> so yeah. just... Oh, my God. At um, best, that would be dawn with the lighting. Yeah. But it's definitely not sunset. Oh my god! Um, and then Merlin's just searching for Arthur everywhere. <laughs> Again, he's just not getting any sleep for the next couple of days, is he? Nope. Absolutely not. Um, and then uh, we have the one with the comedy gold, or the one with the kissing, or whatever. I don't. Uh, I don't know what you guys have called this one. I'm very curious. The scene with the, the one, one with the nervous resources. I call it the one with the failed spell breaking. Oh god. Um so this is the one where like the comedic beats are the best like for me yeah. when I watched oh my yeah. god and I wrote down like the order in which everything happened. So you've got um uh I think it starts with Uthi. You've got Arthur and then you've got Glove douche and then you've got Father and then you've got like a bunch of dialogue. No, no, but like but like Olaf 
throws the glove and Vivian goes, father, and father. the most perfect annoyed teenager voice. Yeah, like, father. How yeah. dare you embarrass me in front of my boyfriend? Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, and then you've got, you know, uh, you don't know the first thing about love. You're taking advantage of an innocent girl. And she goes, father. And then you've got <laughs> Arthur. <laughs> she goes and again she father. goes father in that tone that says i'm really not that innocent anymore no, it's so brilliant again i can't believe they got away with that line it's so fantastic but yeah it is just like literally it's like take advantage of an innocent girl father arthur <laughs> and uther in the background just i think he's rolling his eyes, eyes. Rolling his <laughs> He's honestly, I think he's praying for divine patience <laughs> and trying to figure out what on earth is going on. Oh my water! Oh my gosh! The eye roll. And just you know, and to be fair, I'm really surprised actually that Olaf didn't concede a little bit here no because the thing is arthur is like obviously super earnest and he's like what are you willing to give up your life for my daughter and he's like absolutely i am so i would have thought as like an overprotective father he would have actually been like huh this guy might actually want to treat her good also arthur is an actual prince like it's not like he's any like common servant (laughs) trying to seduce his daughter he's an actual prince he could do much much worse exactly she probably has done much much worse (laughs) here is like oh yeah like you would die for her as in like oh yeah as if you know about love you know yeah yeah maybe he just thinks that he's saying that to like get in her pants or something What, what really what really struck me in this scene is um I, I don't remember what the what the exact dialogue was that prompted it, but Arthur, like he's probably asked again um, how much he loves her, and he says, with all my heart, which obviously is also what he says to Gwen much later, and which is what breaks the spell on Gwen in season mm-hmm. five, with all my heart. So that is just Arthur's go-to line. <laughs> when he believes that he is in love because he says with all my heart it's the one that gets them going apparently <laughs> so and he was right broke the spell he's like listen i know what to say um and when he picks up the glove he does this like kind of indignant like hmm, like i like the, the glove just flops down in his hand because it's just like a, just like a leather glove and vivian like does this like adorable like 1950s teenage girlfriend thing where she puts her hand to arthur's chest and kind of like looks at her dad is like he <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's really nice they, to be honest they'd make a cute couple let's be honest um yeah. you know like in this form <laughs> um and the oh god transition, uh, with the candle um snuffing out i think that's that was really well done because like like you said rocks i think most of the audience forgets that there's a arwen arc going on and like <laughs> just it's quite it's like unexpected to see Guinevere after all of this chaos and drama and um and humor yeah yeah (laughs) and um that unexpectedness I think makes it a little heartbreaking it is a really nice cut and like if I was invested it would really have pulled at my heartstrings and so I really actually do like that kind of like cut I wasn't even invested but it did like I was just like oh Gwen you should have put the address on the fucking <laughs> <laughs> it would have all been it's solved. 
You should have probably like signed it somehow with the, at least a G at the what bottom. What do you think Arthur would have reacted to if he's he got a like a direct, straightforward response from Guinevere? Would have would he have been like, "What are you talking about?" Oh yeah, I think so, right? Yeah, he probably would have been like, "What? No." Yeah. He's just, yeah. he's yeah he's not really in his right mind. He would have just been like, "Ah, oh, girl," <laughs> like, <laughs> he's just talking girl. in her girl language. Yeah. Um. So the one where Uther proves why he is my favorite character, oh. um, is the one that's coming next. Oh, and, I have um, so many comments on this scene. <laughs> oh my god! Oh. So I love how Uther's like, "I went to talk to Olaf," and Arthur's like, "You didn't have to do that, father." <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Arthur just feel like, you don't have to do that, Father. <laughs> That's so nice of you. This is the relationship I want for them. Oh my god. <laughs> and Uther being particularly patient here. Like Oh my god. So explaining hard. and like really explaining like what were you thinking when you took up the challenge? <laughs> And this just makes me pine after the prequel where Arthur is a teenager. <laughs> Does it not make you guys want it so bad? Before before he turns to Merlin, he also says to Arthur, you do realize that your actions threaten the peace talks and that it may yet bring war to Camelot. And Arthur says, I am happy to fight for what I believe in. Bradley's interpretation of being enchanted by love, I just noticed in this scene, it's like, Apparently becoming like a robot or an android. Like um with Sophia it was more like a demonic android type and yeah, like yeah. confused, like Siri, like I'm happy to fight for what I believe in. With like this blank expression. <laughs> <laughs> I can totally Yeah. <sighs> and Uther just I mean he just ends the ends the scene with just holding his hands yeah. up and giving up. But okay, that's <laughs> the one thing I don't really like about this scene. Like I I really wish this episode dove deeper into like this father-son relationship because there are just so many opportunities for, you know, Uther to step up and, you know, be this father that Arthur needs as a, like a weak teenager. And I, it's just so hard to believe that Uther will just dismiss this incident. Like, oh, Arthur's going to just, fight for his death. Which Whatever. is more proof for why none of this is real. It's all happening in a dream. <laughs> yeah. It's it's none of it is is actually reality. This this whole thing is just dream. But it would have been so nice if they had just like one scene where they like sit down. Uther makes Arthur sit down and like really tries to appeal to Arthur, like please think and like uh, maybe Uther lets Arthur slide because you know deep down he trusts Arthur or something. Like, but I would have wanted to see that you know come through to Uther and say like okay. He's not listening to me now, but, you know, I I, be I still believe in him, you know? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, like I said, for me, the kind of the deeper aspect of that same conflict will come out next season when he finds out about Gwen, which is why I'm not too mad that it's not in here and this is kind of a bit sillier, but yeah. he's going to have the same conversation with Arthur. He's like, no, I'm going to appeal to your reasoning. Yeah. And Arthur doesn't listen, but then obviously it turns much, much darker for the, for him because there's death involved and like all sorts of things. But yeah, uh, I guess it just you know it 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 wouldn't have really had a place in this episode maybe because yeah. it's 
that you know there's already not much you could really cut and then like like another father son plot line would have probably felt a bit forced even though i always love more ruther but even, you know. like but um oh, we can talk more about this when we get to that scene but you know that scene like at the end when um arthur like gives up you know doesn't kill olaf and then well he looks up at uther and okay we can talk about that later but it's just yeah, that scene is my favorite, I think, in this episode. Oh. Um, so the one with uh, more Gaius, and all I have to hear is that, yeah, another Merlin spell that he can't break. And Gaius being completely unhelpful, he's like, you have to unenchant Arthur and unenchant him fast. <laughs> That's literally his only... Merlin says, contribution. Merlin says, you have to go to talk to Uther. And Gaius is, like, almost offended. Like, no! Like, uh, had had they, like, fought recently? No, I think it's because he says that if Uther finds out Arthur is enchanted, then, like, oh, yeah. he really will wage yeah. war on the Five Kingdoms. <laughs> the way Gaius yeah, said like... it is so funny. He's like, I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Arthur's enchanted. <laughs> oh, my God. Um. Then the one we have after this is what I've uh, dubbed as the one where Morgana is jealous because we have Armor Watch people. We have Armor Watch where Morgana is staring out the window really sad because Arthur's uh, been caught in the arms of another woman and she's not happy about it. She's bitter AF. She's just kind of like, oh, well, apparently he was in Lady Vivian's chambers last night. At least that's what my heart says. I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but I felt like Morgana was acting a little amused about this whole situation. Like I'm so confused. Like Yeah. I, I read it as I read it as her being like amused by the whole thing. Yeah. Like, oh Arthur Arthur like Arthur is never involved in drama with ladies, but when he is, he really is. Yeah. She loves it. Like, <laughs> and then it was like, um how how yeah. does that like fit into like the situation right now where like he he could die? Either he died. This or is Olaf yeah. This died. is the thing. Like it's a fight to the death, and, and no one cares. It's almost <laughs> as if she's like season three Morgana, who gives the camera the evil smirk every chance she gets. Like she's amused that this is happening. I don't know. It's a very bizarre episode for the like for the actual stakes because the last time. Yeah, that was a fight to the death. Morgana was crying and like really upset about the prospect of people dying, as was Uther. And he even went in and stood in for his son. <laughs> and here, not only is that not the case, but I'll just bring it up now, seeing as we're talking about the tournament. But uh, now all of a sudden, these battles to the death are done in three parts <laughs> so that we have enough time to break the spell. <laughs> Oh, and they have a timer as well. <laughs> so what happens if no one dies by the end of the third I one? I don't know. <laughs> the whole point of To the Death is it doesn't stop until someone dies. <laughs> oh, I love this episode so much. Um, so Gwen finds out about this. And th- this this got me more than the candle moment, simply because... I mean, I don't know if anyone else has been there, but I've definitely been there where I've been told by like someone else that the person I like likes somebody else. Like, and it's really, really shit. And like Gwen's like reaction is very apt. Like she's kind of holding in the tears and then walks off. But I feel like there was a cut scene here because like when she leaves, like she's still, ca- I mean, 
I don't know, unless it was like a different take because she sounds like she's like literally about to cry. And then when she walks out into the corridor, she's just mad. I think it's just like that like frustration that grows into like, oh, so annoying. Like Within like two seconds. Yeah. Uh, but I kind of like how snarky Gwen is here because like, I really don't like how when she becomes queen, she just like grovels under Arthur and she's just like, whispering sweet nothings by Arthur's side. I just like how she, like, you know, expresses her actual feelings here. Yeah. Um. I have a I have a note on um, why Gwen is angry when two seconds before she was said. Yes, please. It's, it's, it's nothing, it's nothing profound and it's nothing that actually makes sense for, like, in the in the universe of Merlin, but, like, they literally just chopped these at two different times. Yeah, yeah. And forgot what Gwen was supposed to be feeling. Yeah, I mean, it is it is just a continuity or editing mistake, but it's so jarring when you see her close to tears, and then in the next shot, she's, like, just angry, and it's like, okay, cool. Um, so uh, I think the next scene we have is between another scene between Alan and Trickle. Alanid and Trickler have more scenes than Arthur and Gwen. I'm just going to put it out there. And I'm, I am kind of living for it. In fact, I've written the, the scene title as the one where my OTP reigns on. <laughs> Trickler being like, uh, have I, something like, have I pleased you or have I succeeded or something like that? Uh, do I, oh no, I know what it is. Do I get to keep my fingers or something like that? Yeah. And he's like, do I get to keep my fingers? And Alanid is like, I'm going to cast your fingers in gold. But first he's like, oh, cast them like an, really angrily like yeah aggressively (laughs) and then he's like oh if if Olaf kills Uther uh, sorry uh, Arthur then Uther will start a war if Arthur kills Olaf then his men will start a war (laughs) he's like we cannot lose and he just like puts the crowd on his head and chuckles two complacent villains trope (laughs) they're already planning their um you know their victory (laughs) of course they are (laughs) of course they are i mean he has no other hobbies apart from chess so (laughs) oh god um the one with the tournament which apparently lasts three rounds or three days Mm -hmm. i don't really know how it but yeah i just but since when does this happen because the plot demands it i mean i'll take that fine Um, and yeah, how does Uther allow this to happen? He's just happily sitting there watching this unfold. And there's one point where Olaf whacks Arthur in the butt and Arthur falls and Morkana gives this like shocked expression, but like yeah. with a hint of a smile, like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it happened. Like she's That's brilliant. game. <laughs> she loves it. She's probably got bets to be honest yeah, with you. I, I, I kind of do like how Uther I can kind of tell, like, very, if I watch very closely, that he has these hidden looks of, like, concern. Like, he's masking it, mm. but, you know, he actually is. Very hidden. Yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah, he, he, had to, he had to work with what he had. Um, Guy is attending to Arthur, and we realize that Arthur isn't feeling any pain while he's being enchanted because Guy is literally prods at his broken ribs. Like, one of, at least one of your ribs is broken, <laughs> and Arthur is like, oh. What do I care? And I'm in love. And then, and then he grabs Gaius' face and says, Love really can conquer all Gaius. And Gaius is like what? pushing Arthur away and just like, Oh no, this is worse than I thought. <laughs> and the eyebrow, Richard Wilson eyebrow. Well, he's probably thinking, like, Father, like, son. <laughs> 
<laughs> because that's probably how Uther used to talk to him when the guys was the older mentor and Uther was crushing on him at age 15 or something. <laughs> You know it. <laughs> I'm gonna write the. It. I'm gonna write the fic one day. I swear. Oh my don't God. promise these things you never do. I know. I know. Don't. I really want it though. <laughs> <laughs> um. So Merlin goes to talk to the dragon. I feel like everything in this scene we've kind of already covered in the sense that the spell maybe should have maybe worked a different way. Mm. Um. And it's just you know it's another scene with Merlin and the dragon, which has a lot of like um weird roundabout dialogue which could have just been cut it's like did you really have to pad out the episode runtime i mean there's plenty of stuff you could have done instead than have him be like the one they were thing. john hurt is not going to come in for like just one yeah, or two yeah. lines he has to be cryptic and giggle a little bit yeah he does doesn't he that's true it's, it's in the just... contract that's fair but you're right you're right the note i have for this is true love's kiss can they get any more cliche than that I mean, I yeah, I guess. Much, but oh, couldn't they have been like a little more creative? To be fair, I honestly, I, I quite like True Love's Kiss as a as a trope because it's a it's a well known trope and it sort of it fits um, as a as a cure to to love spells. So you know, yeah. I, I mean, like, what what else? What else did you think should happen? Like, what know, else like, should there have been? Something- Something more dramatic because we already got that like first kiss with Arthur and Gwen, which I think is much more interesting to look at and much more aesthetically pleasing than the one we have at the tent. It's kind of like that. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know. Well, actually, the funny thing about that is, and I'll just mention it now, seeing as you pointed it out, but I think I mentioned this in the Arthur and Gwen shipping episode, but if you're going to do an episode like this, for me, this should have been their first kiss. Like, I'm not saying that it had to go down the exact way that it did. Like, they could have uh, composed it however they wanted to. But the first Arthur and Gwen kiss that they ever wrote should have been in Sweet Dreams. Yeah, I agree. And it's just, yeah, it 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 just feels anticlimactic. Yeah. Even the way that they do it, like, uh, but okay, let's just maybe save that because that's like just like a later scene. But yeah, it's um, yeah. Uh, so Merlin finds out it's true love kiss. Da, 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 he has to go find Gwen. And then the one with Merwin, and again, I'm I'm very meh about the dialogue in this moment. It's kind of a oh. lot of repe- like it's a lot of repetition, and I I I almost feel like there was an editing mistake made in this scene because like he says, um, you no, know, he's literally enchanted with magic. None of his feelings are genuine. Gwen replies with, "How can you be sure? When I saw him, his feelings looked real enough." And he goes, "Gwen, none of his feelings are real." And I feel like that was almost a repeated line. Yeah. Like that's just what he said. Also, also. <laughs> Like, Gwen, like she says, when I saw him, his feelings seemed real enough in this really snippy tone. And I'm just like, you didn't notice he was behaving out of character the entire time. How are you an accurate judge of character of what is real and what is not with Arthur anymore? And how, like, and like, how do you think love potions work? They're supposed to make you fall in love. No, so of course, they seem- she doesn't know that. Oh, yeah. oh, well, okay. I think she doesn't believe I mean, Merlin when he says he's under. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I think I think her pride and her like not so much her feelings, but I think her pride is hurt because she she put herself out there. She sent Arthur a note and and invited him to a dinner date, and then he didn't like he stood her up as far as she concerned. I, he stood her up, so her pride is now hurt, and I think that's where this is coming. I from. like. I, I really like how Gwen isn't so easily convinced though, even though it kind of drags on, but like even 
this scene and then the scene after like um she's she's kind of reluctant and sour as she does it and it i think it would have been really sappy and unbelievable if she's like oh arthur yes i love him no matter what of course i'll do anything for him i think like the frustration she does it with it, it shows like i don't know her instead of like infatuation her more like deeper like understanding and dedication like yeah this is her acting yeah her delivery of the line is really really nice um uh, yeah except for like i find it really interesting the whole i'm never trusting my feelings again this would have been a fantastic moment to mention the one who must not be named <laughs> <sighs> truly truly is yeah you're right it would have been good with her going like it happened with Lancelot, and now it happened with arthur i just should not like no no, no. it happened <laughs> Imagine if she had said, it happened with you, it happened with Lancelot, it happened with Arthur. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And then Merlin, like... He would have given a whole, Nani? (laughs) (laughs) He would have gone, Nani, the fuck? (laughs) But but yeah, it would have... It would have been nice if Lancelot had been mentioned here, like maybe cut a few bits of dialogue from other places and just maybe, yeah, just extended the scene like just a little bit because I feel like when comes across as yeah snippy and and like also with Merlin like with the wrong person because like he's not doing anything wrong like she's you know kind of snapping at him and being a bit sarcastic and stuff and I feel like you know like she's really hurting but I mean you know you said earlier that you can believe that Gwen knows that Merlin is the one who wrote the note to her because he wouldn't do it himself that's true so it would stand to reason that she is snippy with him, yeah, true, 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 true. If Merlin knew that Arthur had changed his mind about her, why didn't she? Yeah. Why didn't he warn her? Right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. But again, but but that can be true because uh, Merlin has to like like tell her that he knows that there is something going on between. Oh yeah, them. I forgot about that. One. <laughs> so so uh, Gwen didn't know before that Merlin wrote the note which just make it makes it more unbelievable that she believes this note was actually from Arthur. That's true, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah, it's well just... she well she seems to be um pretty convinced by the end, uh, because then we have like a couple more shots of like stuff happening. I don't I don't I don't remember what, <laughs> what comes in between this and the kiss. But then she walks into the tent and we have the kiss, which again I like and dislike this at both at the same time because I feel as though it's supposed to be this like big romantic spell breaking moment. And when I think of big romantic spell breaking moments, I think of, you know, um, the Sleeping Beauty and Trek and Fiona and like all these really beautiful like moments. And even their first kiss is like stunning. Yeah. And then this is just a bit weird. Honestly, I don't mind that at all i feel like um since we already had their first kiss Mm -hmm. earlier in the season and this is now very definitely their second kiss um and it comes like it feels more realistic to me than the first kiss did just because it does happen in a sort of awkward place um and it's not like lighted perfectly and everything i just i feel like it's more it feels realer like it feels more realistic somehow to me. Mm-hmm. And what like 
I just I just love the lead up to it because like she comes into the tent and Arthur's like, Oh, are you finally here to wish me luck? As if he's like subconsciously apparently he still cares about her opinion, right? <laughs> Be- because otherwise why would it matter to him so much? So um and she's like no, I haven't come to wish you luck at all. And he's like, well, that's a bit rude. And she's like, well, let me make it up to you. And then she goes and kisses, or like, she says, oh, well, let me make amends. And she goes and kisses him. And what I really like is that you can, you can see him being startled at first because it's like, she literally pushes, like, imagine this, petite little Gwen pushes big, Bradley author up against a, a tent pole. I mean, he's got broken ribs at this point, so he's probably <laughs> yeah, But like, she 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 pushes him against the wall and kisses him, and he looks very perplexed at first, but and like with his eyes still open in shock. And then he, you can just see him melt into it. Where like, ah, this like you can literally see the spell breaking because he just he melts into it and and kisses her, like starts kissing her back do you have anything to say about the kiss scene um no not not anything that you haven't said yeah well get ready for this then because here it comes live for me arthur (laughs) oh my god that's so terrible how dare you how dare you take lancelot's line from him and stick it in this scene like it meant nothing. <laughs> I am so angry at the writers. I only hope this was done by mistake and not on purpose, because if it is, I'm going to take a flamethrower to everything. I'm so upset about this. When I first watched it, I was like, oh, no, they didn't. Oh, no, they didn't. I mean, it's I mean, it's a bit of a weird line anyway, because, um, you know, when Lancelot said it to Gwen, they were actually, you know, um, in real danger. And peril, whereas this is a Shakespearean comedy episode in which Arthur's definitely going to be all right. <laughs> so it was a bit, but um, you know, she does seem like you know super emotional, and it's really nice, you know, that she's kind of like opening up. But yeah, please don't use Lancelot's <laughs> lines in an RNC. Please don't do this to my heart. I'm sad now. Let's carry on. <laughs> um, okay. I know. The one where the episode becomes boring is what I've named it um, because Arthur's not enchanted anymore, which means he's a lot less interesting well, and he's just kind of... I like, <laughs> I'm okay, I like I, the I, next uh, few shots because... Okay, wait, can you continue and then I'll say what I have to say. Oh, no, like, honestly, I have very little to say about this. I'm just like, oh, Arthur's spouting some bullshit, non-enchanted Arthur romantic spiel about Merlin looking after Gwen, which is the most pointless line I've ever heard. And then we have a lot of Mama Gwen looking on from the sidelines at her precious son, I mean her future husband, and that's pretty much all I had to say about the collection of shots. So you please do all of your lovely <laughs> thoughts and meta. And um, does this also include, like, the end of the fight? I guess. Okay. We can just group it all together, can't yeah. we? Because my favorite shot of this whole episode is Arthur, like, you know, he tries to kill Olaf and he doesn't, and he, like, stabs his sword in the ground and he kind of, like, leans on it. Yeah. Glances up, and I, I don't know who he glances up at, maybe the audience, but the next shot, the cut is to Uther. So I like to think that it's glancing up at Uther and he almost like pants and breathes out like 
this is no way to achieve peace. And Uther, the next shot is Uther with all of his majesty, just like slowly standing up in like awe, just like, oh, yeah. my son, with like this That's swelling music. And um, and I like to think that it's like a parallel to Uther's swelling pride and acceptance. Like, oh, oh yes, this is that. my son. This is my true son. And he like claps. This is so fantastic. And actually the love theme plays, which I know is for Arthur and Guinevere, but I I like to think that it's also for Uther and Arthur. I like to think that too. I mean, it's not, but I like to think it is because it makes me happy. By the way, do you want me to break your heart a little bit? Because what I thought you were going to say was that he's looking up to the sky because he's looking to his mom. Oh. Yeah, I, I can see that because, you know, like, you know, people say that he gets this, like, gentle and, you know, yeah, peaceful they do. Um, from his mom. And so he's thinking about, like, oh, what, what would my mom have done? Yeah. And he's recently met her. Oh, yeah. We, so we think. Yeah. <sighs> let's not bring that back up again but yeah um yeah that's i i never noticed him looking up but i've always loved that line and yeah now i can't get it out of my head that maybe he's looking up at his mom yeah oh uh, we do love you enchanted or not um and uh yeah so that's all of that and then we have the scenes to wrap it up so we've got the arwen wrap up which is the one with the second note or whatever else you guys want to yeah. do it? No one, no one in this in this country respects Gwen's privacy. They all just break into her house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but at least, like, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't give us a clear shot of the note. But there's like, it looks like it actually says Guinevere on it. So you know, Arthur probably wrote it himself yeah. this time. And um, yeah, and then it ends with like Gwen going like, "Well, but you know, you shouldn't be in love with me. You, I can't be your queen." Gwen is the only one who has some sense, but also everything goes back to status quo. So, what was yeah. the point of this episode? Look, this no made me confused. Like, just a couple of scenes ago, she was talking to Arthur and like wanting a date with him. Like, does this episode with Vivian like remind her that she can't be with him? who knows there's a line in here which i would really love some more explanation on which is i too have caused my fair share of hurt which if anyone was a victim in this episode it was gwen and by extension merlin who had to put up and witness all of this but i mean she's not really done anything wrong besides being just fed false information that she thought was real so i don't know how she thinks she's caused any hurt unless the hurt she's referring to is the pain she's caused herself by (laughs) having hope that then is broken when she realizes through seeing arthur fight that it can never be i don't know maybe she's referring to how lancelot's heart broke spiritually because she was like because she was forced into having feelings for arthur in this episode by the writers i just um very confused by that line i will say that you know if i was invested in this ship and if i cared about the dialogue i would i like i do love the whole you know i'm i'm really into kind of the whole all the audience knows how this is going to end but the characters don't and so the whole thing of like you know one day you'll be king i can't be your queen we know she will be his queen and so i actually do kind of like that that you know it's 
I like that it didn't end happily, but I'm just like, it doesn't make sense. That's all I'm saying. And I think that if Gwen had come to her own feelings in this episode, like starting from zero and then coming to the conclusion that she loved Arthur, and then there being some like catalyst in the episode to remind her of her place, like, you know, that she kind of realized that she loved him and then realized actually, no, this will never happen just like it never happened with Lancelot like it never happened with Merlin like I don't know what that catalyst would need to be maybe um maybe maybe even something to do with Olaf and Uther you know disapproving of his relationship with Vivian as well as Olaf and maybe she overhears something and is like well shit if Uther's gonna be like this with Arthur and another noblewoman I definitely have no chance do you know what I mean like maybe just something to just remind her of like no you need to kill those dreams because like we've said she has hope uh, hope then go then pursues arthur and then kisses him for the sake of breaking the spell but then is happy to just accept that 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 that's that maybe like what kind of narrative progression is that maybe she realizes that like you know this time arthur with vivian who is a noble woman it might have been like you know just under a spell but maybe next time it won't be yeah, that's true. Doesn't she even say something to to that extent where she's like, well, this time your feelings weren't real, but in the future you will find someone else to love? Yeah, well, he says, I've never loved another. And then she says, one day you will, one day you'll find your real princess. Yeah, so. Yeah, so. Which, I mean, again, like, you know, it's a nice bittersweet sentiment, the idea of two people being in love, but one of them giving the other permission as it were to just fall in love with someone else who's more appropriate i like all of that i just wish it i just wish it was a bit better crafted is all it's just nah. um but you know there's like a you know we've got some nice kind of body language acting here where she curtsies uh you know finally apparently she understands that she needs to address him as my lord and not be snippy with him in the corridor but okay and then he and 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 uh, he leaves like and she doesn't get up until he goes which i think is really interesting like she just like stays on the ground until he walks out of her house and then she gets up and turns around which is which is yeah bittersweet way to end it but yeah just um not really very sensical is it <laughs> oh um do we ha- oh we we do have an ending scene I, I always forget that that's not the very end oh yeah <laughs> isn't uther this and way? Olaf, uther and olaf being lovey-dovey in the in the walkway oh, yeah. it's just they're definitely exes who are still on very good terms they probably very good terms. they probably had a nice threesome um in the marital bed of guys oh. and Uther. Oh, you know that happened in this episode. That's why that's why Uther's in such a good mood. <laughs> I've just come to the conclusion. I've just come to the conclusion. It's so great. But Olaf is just such a lovable, like big guy. Like he's just so sweet. Like, even, you know, where he's a bit over the top, but I love him. <laughs> and isn't this the scene where Aladdin tells Trick where he's gonna run all the way home? Yep. <laughs> Oh my god. I love how he says this is more than you deserve. I'm like, how else were you like, what's worse than handcuffs? Like, how else were you supposed to attach him to the horse? <laughs> like, how, like, what, were you just planning on leaving him here? That might be better for him, actually. <laughs> so it's just such a funny line. It's like, this is more than you deserve. Um, Where I mean, else? You could, have, you could have straight up killed him. 
Okay, that's fair. No, he loves him too much. He wouldn't do that. My OTP reigns on. <laughs> and isn't this is the one where Arthur's like, you're right there, Aladad. Anyone would think you wouldn't want peace. He goes, but of course I do. Peace, love it. <laughs> Pristine look on his face. <laughs> I don't understand how we got away with this. He is clearly the bad guy. Like, look at him. He's clearly the bad guy with the uh, with the overly innocent expression, um, and yeah. Um, and, so there ends the story of Trickler and Alan and running all the way yeah. back home. The story, and then yeah, then there's Vivian. Her story is the greatest tragedy ever. Oh, Vivian's story is the greatest yeah. tragedy, and I agree with you, Anne. Um, and I think I said this in the beginning: how Vivian's character is just completely fucked over by this narrative because. It is. It is. Could she have done anything to like? I don't know. I mean, if the only if the only way to break this particular love spell, right, is to be kissed by the person they love, like the person who's enchanted needs to be kissed by the person that they love. If Vivian doesn't have anyone, and she never will from now on. Yeah, that's that's the thing. She will forever be in love with Arthur, yeah. or the alternative is is that this spell is going to wear off at some point. But we we don't know that. Right? We don't know that. And if it's like anything like um, Midsummer Night's Dream, then it's not going to wear off. The only solution to Midsummer Night's Dream was more magic. <laughs> I wonder when Olaf will find out that there's something really wrong about this thing. Imagine like 10 years into the future, Vivian's still talking about Arthur. Anyway, I think we have finally reached the end of this episode. So, um, do we all agree or is there anything else anyone wants to be talking about? I think, I think that's the end. Awesome. Then, Anne, do you want, like, if you want people following you on social media, this is the time and place for you to tell us where we can find you on social media. Okay, so, um, uh, I, I'm at Anne underscore Avenue on Twitter, but I don't use it that often. I just started recently, so. And, um, there's one extra thing that I wanted to share. Um, uh, do you guys know what my cast is? Um, no. Nope. It's basically like um, someone can create. Oh yeah, no, hang on. Sorry, I do know what my cast is. It's the one where you created the the young young Uther and Gaia's <laughs> thing. We we had we we did the we did the talkback for that two days oh, ago. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we we did the talkback two days like in in the costumes episode in one of the costumes episode. We will do the talkback for okay. that. Okay, because uh, I like. So. Based on the amount of um, comments you guys make on guys and Uther, I think it would be appropriate to share. Um, yeah. yeah. And I need help because I don't really know many British actors. Yeah. <laughs> I will I will I will try to come up with some things but we but yeah we discussed the um the comment in an episode that will be airing at some point so you you'll get to see what we think with the timey wimey stuff. <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah. Okay. Uh Brooks, your turn. Yeah, uh I'm Miss Snowfox uh on Instagram and Miss Snowfox Cosplays, Miss Snowfox with an extra X on Twitter, and also Miss Snowfox on AO3. There's not really any Merlin fic on there at the moment, but if you like anime then you can go read that instead. <laughs> 
And I am the Incredible on AO3, where I also post fanfic, which is also not Merlin fanfic anymore. And I am Zan underscore reads on AO3, where I post podfic. Again, not any recent, but there's a lot of backlog on Merlin podfic there for you to find if that's what you want. Our theme music was composed by Sidesteppings exclusively for Merlison. Our news music and any other sound effects in this episode come from freesound.org. The man up on our cover art was made by Brolin's Keep and the cover was made by me. Next time, we will be continuing with the costumes episode and we will start in on the costumes of our girls and the next episode will be basically entirely focused on Gwen. So you can look forward to that. We will have Diane and Connor back as our costume experts and we hope you guys will enjoy that. Until then, I have been Zan Credible. And I'm Miss Snowfox. And our guest was Anne. Yeah, yeah. I just, no, but I completely wasn't listening to what someone was saying because I was distracted by my brother's yelling. Sorry. So can someone just tell me what, what was said just now? <laughs>